Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. Hey, what's going on, dude? Hey. <laughs> what's hey. going on, man? <laughs> Have you been, man? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing? All right. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. You're on the East Coast now? I am. I'm in Florida. Where in Florida? Just outside of Orlando. Okay, so you're like right in the middle. Yeah, ahead. basically, basically, yeah. Right on. How are you liking it so far? I like it, man. We wanted, uh, we wanted small town. Like I live in a town now. Like we live like in a town. It's not a city. It's not even close to a city. We have one exit off the turnpike. You know, it's it's nice. It's nice to be able to, you know, be five minutes from home and see cows. You know, <laughs> that's cool. We're, cool. we're looking to get even more rural, you know, because we're looking to we're renting inside of a subdivision right now, but we're looking to buy like a piece of property, you know, further out into the uh, into the Florida woods. Believe it or not, there's a lot of woods in Florida. Wow, nice. <laughs> the only thing that makes me nervous about Florida is the snakes. Yeah, I mean, there's I, a lot of there's a lot of critters up up out here, like a lot. The yeah. girls are yeah. always tripping. <laughs> I love there's the wildlife there. Yeah, dude, there's like, we have a pond in our backyard. <laughs> like the kids are convinced we're going to see a cro- uh, alligator. Like, <laughs> like so unlikely, but like totally possible, you know? Mm-hmm. That's my dream to have a pond. And they love, they're obsessed with alligators. So we went to Gatorland and like every time we pass a body of water, they're like, could there be gators in there? Could there be gators in there? <laughs> yeah, there could be. Probably not, but there could be. Wild. That's sick. Did you pick Florida on purpose or was there like a opportunity there, like work-wise or just um, so it, it, nice? it was a little serendipitous. So it wasn't my idea initially to leave California at all. It was my wife's idea. Like she's from California though. And you know, you're married to a California native. Like you learn pretty, pretty easy on that. If you're going to be leaving California, it's going to be because they're ready to go, not because you're ready to go. So like over the years, like my dad's lived here since I was a little kid over just outside of Tampa so we would come and we would visit periodically. And every time we were, he, we were here, he would sell her hard on, on moving. Him and, my, him and my stepmom would just go hard, like <laughs> take us riding the Harleys around. And just, he would just take us through neighborhoods and be like, you know, this is like 15 years ago. He's like, oh, you know, that house is like $100,000. You know, that house is like 120, mm. you know. And by, you know, she'd be like all in. And, you know, by four, we would before we could like touch down and like get into a cab and like go to like sombrero she was like no i don't want to leave san diego you know and then you know after after the pandemic and you know the way california like kind of treated us collectively as you know small business owners as parents that pushed her over the edge as a Californian that she was just kind of done with it along with i mean we lived in point loma for a really long time which was used to be a really great little neighborhood and now it's literally a cesspool of homeless people and and mentally you know mentally incapacitated you know vagrants really and yeah it's just unacceptable you know and and the way i look at things is i'm a really tribal person you know and if 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 you want to be a part of a group of people that think alike and are alike don't expect them all to necessarily to come to you you have to make a point where you know what even though I look around and maybe my collective like group of people that I interact with on a day-to-day basis, maybe they see things the way I do, but I'm, you know, among the greater community here, I'm in the minority. So I have to decide to either accept those conditions and be living in the minority, or I need to go to a place where those people are more like-minded than me. 
So we, we started looking around and it was, you know, it's going to sound super white, you know, it's like Idaho, Texas, Florida, you know, like, and what's funny is like, not, I am not a conservative. I'm not a Republican. You guys know that from my Instagram, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just someone who like sees things the way I think I see them. And I'm just doing the best to, you know, try to live the best life I can. But we, uh, we took a trip up to Oregon late last year to see some friends and we got out of the car and my, I just looked, took one look at my wife. I'm like, you want to live in Idaho? Like we're barely in Oregon. And like, you think this is, this is bad. Like no girl, like as a new England native, I can tell you, you do not want to live in Idaho. So we crossed that off the list super early. That, that was also coupled with that. There's really a negative reaction to Californians going to Idaho, like, like a significant one. It's if you do start doing your research, man, they are not nice to you. And I was kind of going up there under the impression I was maybe going to do jitsu full time. Still, (laughs) I had a friend up there who has a, he has a, a successful academy and he was looking to maybe sell to me because he's looking, he's looking to come back closer to family on the East coast. So we were like, kind of like just kind of chatting about it, you know, late last year. And then it was literally like, yeah, we can't move to Idaho. And then, so kind of balance between Texas and Florida and, you know, everything leans to Florida, like that we have resources here. We have family here, both of us, mm-hmm. my wife's uh, aunt, her cousins are here. My, my dad, my brother are nearby. My sister's down the keys, you know, pretty much most of my family now lives in Florida and we like Texas, but we don't have anybody there. You know, we have mm-hmm. some friends, you know, I have a handful of friends all from jujitsu, mm-hmm. um, jujitsu and now YouTube, you know, cause I'm a big time YouTuber. So I make friends there. I have yeah. a group of like motorcycle guys that I talk to there, but like for the most part, it would have been like a fresh, like fresh start, you know? So her, she was actually offered a job to the guys that we went to visit in Oregon they relocated here to Florida and they kind of invited her to join their company. She, she works for a small IT company, but in the process, they offered to basically help move us here and relocate. So we just kind of, you know, Sean, my partner in Honu was offering to buy me out. So we made a deal and kind of things just kind of steamrolled and here we are. Nice, man. I, I'm glad that all worked out pretty well that it sounds. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. Like going from someone that did jujitsu for a living for a pretty long time. And, you know, whether I was doing it full-time or part-time, I was for the, over a decade, I did it. Jiu-Jitsu was my, was at least one of my sources of, you know, income and identity. And now to just being a guy in class, I found a really great gym to train at here. Super cool guys. So welcoming. And I, I love when I get a chance to go train. I haven't, I just hit my rhythm here, here now that I've, I've been able to get into, get over there two, three times a week and start like feeling my way around. But it's just been so odd to like just be a guy in class you know Mm -hmm. even though you know the white or blue belt that i'm paired with when we drill like i'm drilling with you you know you're gonna you're gonna free private you know yeah and the look on their face when they get paired with me is like you know ear to ear so it it still it still kind of scratches that (laughs) teaching itch a little bit but i'm sure before before too long that itch is gonna overwhelm me and hopefully that'll coincide with you know maybe an opportunity at the gym to help out you know wherever i can so yeah, I don't I'm think gonna be a teacher ever stops. Yeah, I'm yeah. always going to be a teacher no matter what it is. So I, you know, whether I'm, I'm still talking to people on, you know, on Instagram, like, yo, yo, like I saw your match, you know, did you think about this? Did you consider yeah. that? You know, it's just, it, it's never going to stop for me. And, and I think once you've been a black belt for a while or, or have been doing anything for a while, maybe Arturo, maybe you've seen this in your weightlifting career, you just see things with a different set of eyes and, and you're not looking that like, I don't look at anything with 
for, as a competitive advantage for myself and my game or anything like that anymore at this point. I'm looking to understand human development and movement at the highest possible level. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I'm watching someone pass the guard, I'm maybe not watching the same thing that somebody else is watching, which is the ability to succeed at that movement. I'm watching, well, what's he doing different? What's she doing different? you know, to, to pass from that position that maybe I haven't noticed before. I've been watching a lot of Nogi, even though I'm, I haven't really even trained any Nogi in a while, but uh, watching the new school Nogi guard passing, you know, mm-hmm. at first when you watch it, it looks like, you know, looks like somebody's just having a, you know, epileptic seizure on top of you mm-hmm. trying to pass a guard. Uh, but then when you start like slowing it down and breaking it down and seeing the repetitive motion these guys are doing, I'm starting to get it, you know? And I don't know if you guys caught the WNO finale the other the other day on Flow. Some mm-hmm. of it was on YouTube. But what I did notice is these guys are, you know, these purple belts. And I noticed it seems to be at the purple belt level because that's where a lot of these no guy, those no gi pro guys seem to be picking up traction enough to get on these bigger stages, which I think is fantastic. I don't think rank should play any particular role in where you are as a competitive jiu-jitsu athlete if you're competing on that no gi level like mm-hmm. that's so that's so irrelevant in that conversation that's the difference mm-hmm. between the sport of jiu-jitsu and the martial art of jiu-jitsu right mm-hmm. like a blue belt can tap me out on on a good day if if i make a mistake you know that doesn't make him a black belt that doesn't make me a blue belt so mm-hmm. <clears throat> but what i did notice was how good they were at these passing techniques a lot of the guys were having trouble settling after that position mm-hmm. thinking into it and finishing and i think that is kind of the difference between purple and brown and black. You watch Gordon go against poor Pedro. Oh, yeah. Finale. When he mm. wanted to do something, it just happened, right? It was kind of like he's like messing around, messing around, messing around. And, oh, okay, I'm going to the mount now. Bam, I'm in the mount. I'm going to try. He tried to smother the guy and make him tap. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, really? Like, that's how good this guy believes in himself, that he can just take a technique that is – one that's really, it's not even a physical breaker. It's a mental breaker. And I think that's what he liked about it. I think it's what he mm-hmm. wanted out of that. To, it's one thing to choke me unconscious, right? It's another thing to break my arm and make me scream. You know, even if I don't tap, I just scream and it matches over shoulder, knee, whatever, right? It's something different to cognitively just be like, I just give up because like, I can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not going to sleep. You're getting what smothered. Was- maybe, maybe you might feel it. it. Might start hyperventilating and panicking a little bit. But at the end of the day, you're you're just you're just like mentally like, yep, yeah, you broke me, bro. Like, and I think that's what appeals to Gordon about that particular move. And then, yeah, and then I- when it di- when it didn't work, what did he do? He jumped on his back and he choked him like yeah. that. Like that I, is I, the I next the level. quote before where it's you try to take their soul first, then get the tap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Hickson <laughs> would say, kill, kill. You want the arm? Kill the arm first. Mm-hmm. like kill it like give it like just rip on it crank it make it under pressure and then take it away you know and and when you get to the mount especially i think that like it's kind of a hard position to finish from that's why i think a lot of people have abandoned it over the years you know it's, yeah. if i get to the mount i'm kind of just going to be difficult until you flip over you know mm-hmm. or, and you know unless i get that dynamic arm bar that i'm looking for because that's pretty much all that's really there until they start to transition and try to escape you know mm-hmm. those chokes are generally speaking low percentage for a reason how was he trying to smother him? He just had his like hand on his uh, mouth there, so I didn't no, watch it. No, it was a, it was more like he he like basically does almost like a almost like a, a Dagestani handcuff kind of thing, but then he takes his hand away and just kind of drops his chest on top and does like an Ezekiel without the front arm in and just drives his chest like through your arm into your face and just like really? gives you the business and just gives you all that pressure, you know. And I'm sure 
he wants to be a little bit maybe higher than he was on Pedro so we can really use his hips and like really drive. And I mean, I've done it before, like to people just to kind of be a dick, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, if somebody tapped to it, I would, I would make fun of them, you know, but I'm sure at that level, I'm sure if he did it to me, he could probably make me tap at this point, you know, other than the, mostly just the fact that I just don't want that dude like grinding his sternum on top of me for that long. <laughs> it's just creepy. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to win anything. Like, it's not unlike when Solo would pass your guard and he would get double unders and put the fist in the small of our back. Mm. And he would just, he would just give you the side control pressure and just try to take your, try to take your heart. It's the same thing. It's just from an absolute dominating position where like you might feel like, Oh my gosh, like I could pass out right here. And, and maybe you could, I haven't felt it. So I can't be sure. I'd like to see it all the way till someone taps live. So I can see if there is like, maybe he is putting enough pressure across that the person's, you know, suffocating, but it doesn't seem like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's already on YouTube for free. If you, if you check it out, I saw some highlights on it from Instagram. It came all the way down to a dude from 10th planet, Oceanside of chambers, mm-hmm. chambers, Kyle chambers. Yep. Yeah. And then the, the new Craig Jones, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, I just looked at him like, so you're, you're like, Smaller than Craig Jones, but bigger than Giles, right? But yeah, they went at it. Like Kyle Chambers really impressed me through that. So it's kind of like, uh, it, was, it was, I was cool. I was happy I saw it. And I like binge watched most of it, most of it in like one day. I mean, I caught up and then watched the finale. But watching those guys, it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird to still be inspired by somebody. Some of these guys that are like young enough to be your son, you know? Yeah. And like you watch them, you're like, man, it makes me want to get out there and like, you know, just train. I, I just want to train. It makes me want to train hard. You know, at this point, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not competing against anybody anymore. That's not my jam, but it fires me up to go like, go train to like get mm-hmm. in there and like go round, you know, go a few rounds with these guys who are in their 20s. <clears throat> so who won? How did they win with, the- you know, I didn't see how the finale ended. I so- just can't imagine people <laughs> having that energy. I, I saw know, some like, highlights where Kyle Chambers seemed like he had a mounted triangle and it was tight and it was going against the arm and somehow little Craig Jones found a way out. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was something nuts. like that. It was like an exchange and then like somebody got caught right off something. But you know what that reminds me of? I don't know. I don't know if you were there or not, but you were you there the night Brian Googie got his brown belt? Yes. So you remember the tournament, right? Yes, that, yeah. that spur of the moment tournament. Yeah. So ended up we're at Throwdown. You know, this is before it was called Victory, or right around the time it was transitioning. And we all we all come to night class. I'm a purple belt. Me and like six or seven other people in the room are purple belts. You know, everybody else is a white belt, blue belt, or a brown belt, or a black belt. And uh, Elias comes out and he's just like, brown belt, open weight, sub only, no time limit tournament. Brown brown belt out. Brown belt implications. He didn't even guarantee the winner was going to get a brown belt. And so <laughs> and then every purple belt. Got matched up, and you had a no time limit sub only match until we went all the way down to one person. That's amazing. So, yeah, so uh, it's funny. Yeah. We even had a girl in it. A girl was one of the purple yeah. ones that was in it. A Narit, remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, I, I can't remember. I beat whoever I'd had in the first round, and then me and Crit. No, it was no me and BG. Me and Googity went in the second round, and he uh, he got me with one of those friggin' flying loop chokes that he used to do all the time after like a good like 12 or 13 minutes. But remember the final match with him and was it him and Dave? I think so. All I just remember about Brian that day is that like he elevated his game to a whole nother level (laughs) and every match was like it was for his life. Yeah. So now I just remember, remember Dave and Craig Baker had like a 40 minute battle. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then Dave won. And he had to go against BG, who, who the guy after me, I think they went for like eight or 10 minutes, but it wasn't nearly as long. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, to, so to your point about the dexterity, like 
literally like then after that, after he beat all of us, they jumped on him and like shark tanked him for like another 15 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the video being hard to watch after the fact because like <laughs> his voice like cracking and like the guys were choking, like Dean and the other guys were like choking him out and like waking him up and Shannon was there. Like that was one of the most uh, Casey Ryan's black belt promotion is probably the only thing worse that I've ever seen with my own eyes. So was that, got, I remember an arm bar yeah, yeah. going. He, yeah, you got it. I don't remember who did it, but I remember an arm bar that like it was on and the tap just was not yep. found a way out. And I'm like, yep. oh my God. It's one of those nights where guys were just refusing to lose. Like, yeah, you were getting choked unconscious. Like, I don't think anybody was tapping it. And anybody was really tapping the chokes. Like you were literally going out and then they were stopping the match. Mm-hmm. And like, like heel hooks, heel hooks, I think is what heel hooks in, were what were people getting choked out is what people were getting tapped with because it was also open subs in the gi. Mm-hmm. So like dude, we were heel hooking each other. We were getting silly. We, we got stupid there from the beginning. Like, <laughs> like the cool thing about throwdown was there were no fucking rules, right? Like mm-hmm. when we were training, we were just training. And it, like, if you heel hook somebody and they rolled the wrong way, that was kind of on them, you know, like hopefully mm-hmm. you might let go. You might not, but I don't ever remember being like grabbed and like, yo, yo, don't do that here. Or, or Hey, yeah, yeah, you're a purple belt. Don't do that. You know, it was never like that there. And that's, that's a, that's something that, I mean, when I opened when we opened Honu, that was a, something I took with me. Like I never, I never said, don't do that, you know, and mm-hmm. we taught everything from the beginning and then we would scale ourselves down. You know, if there was a competition or something like that, like, yo, you remember, like, don't get married to this, this part of jujitsu because you really can't do it any place but in the gym right now. So yeah, it's cool and it's fun to do, but if you think that's going to be something that's going to be your mainstay or your staple or get you to the next level, you're going to end up at the next level and you didn't do your homework. So none of that stuff's going to work. You're not going to know how to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the things where people, when they jump to, and like go back to my point in the finale with the purple belts, like they were using that high level guard passing, but they can't settle at the end of the guard pass. And that's that fundamental experience that comes with five, six, seven, ten 10 years on the mat. And that's right. something that just can't be, no matter how much of an athlete you are, there's something to be said for just experience and rounds. And, and that's why a lot of these, that's, I think that's why the unity guys are so successful. It's because most of, they don't do a lot of drilling. They do a lot of training mm. and, and it's, it's, you know, people have their opinions on training methods. And I think different methods, maybe work different, different, better for different people. But there's something to be said for that old school method of like, yeah, you might drill that technique 10 times and you guys roll for two hours. You know, I, I would always learn a hell of a lot more in those two hours than I did in that 15 or 20 minutes of drilling that particular technique. You know, even if, especially if I wanted to put my energy into that technique, you know, maybe we're doing a particular arm bar for the technique of the day. And instead of me really worrying about hitting that four step movement that I got shown, maybe I'm just trying to get into that position and see what other, you know, dynamic movements I can create off of it. You know, that's where, that's where, the higher level things, the submissions that you don't see till it's too late. That's where that all comes from. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something you learn in class. It's spontaneous. It's a spontaneous, you know, connection between your muscle and your mind that makes that leverage point that just made sense to you in that moment. I don't think that's been the, that's been the dessert for jujitsu for me since the beginning, you know, when, when your muscle and your mind connect and you hit that submission that even if they saw it, they couldn't do anything about it. You're just like, wow. Like I feel like, I feel like a superhero, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, I can't remember if one of the guys said it one time. It was like, I've been being, knowing you being a black belt in jiu-jitsu is like being a superhero sometimes. Like you do these things and you even sit back like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And you see guys that are purple belts doing it at that same technical level, you know? And you're like, that's, that's awesome. You know, that just shows that like, 
the progression is real, you know, and if you can have that perfect mix of being an athletic jujitsu player while not forgetting that we are doing a fighting art, I think you've got the perfect mix and you can take that skill set in any combat sport direction that you want to, you know, depending on how much time you want to give it. You know, if, if Jake Paul can learn to box in three years, I'm pretty sure any high level jujitsu guy could learn to box in that same amount of time, mm-hmm. you know, cause we're talking about effort and access really more than anything. Right. The yeah. kid made a huge effort and he had plenty of access. Yeah. That, I mean, I think Donaher, who I'm not the biggest fan of, of him, just be, you know, he's just so dry. Like I, I can't stay awake. <laughs> There's something to be said, what he says about, you know, Hey, if you put this amount of effort into anything for this amount of time, you're going to be an expert at it. And you're going to be, you know, at a very, very high level, you know, that sells you to, to a lot of people that might not be buying it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to get into talking about Kane again? I think you're yeah. actually our first repeat guest, Brandon. Oh, look at me. I feel so, ex- that's exciting. I listen, you know what? I am a loyal podcast listener. I listen to every episode you guys do. In fact, I think listening to Anup talk so, so enthusiastically about MMA kind of brought me back to watching MMA regularly again. Oh, nice. I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of MMA for a while, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm um, watching some of these young guys come up. I, I started, I have to go catch up with them. I probably just over the last couple of years, like since you guys do the podcast, I've really oh. like, I tune in for the big, big fight, but I wasn't watching the stuff in between anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I, 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 I wanted to see guys that were, you know, finishing guys. And when, when point fighting became so popular, it turned me off a little bit. And then the WWE stuff turns me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when I, when I think thanks to, you know, Anup and Khabib are probably the guys that brought me back to being. <laughs> yes. Nice. He's so happy. I'm, I'm in the same <laughs> sentence as Khabib. That's uh, an enthusiastic <laughs> fan who wants to fight everybody in the UFC for some reason. I don't know why. And then like, a guy who, who didn't even know how to talk shit, his real talk was better than any shit yeah. any guy could ever put on. No yep. matter you know how big his sunglasses are or his baseball gloves or whatever, like here's the guy next to you that's you know in broken English just owned to you, you know, like like the Ferguson could be the McGregor could be, but it doesn't even matter. Just just be like, hey, could be, what do you think about this? Oh, you know, it's it's I'm from Real Mountain. I just what? Huh? I like, yeah. just doesn't, doesn't comprehend why you're saying such ridiculous things you know yeah, but when he said send location it was yes. so simple what, what it was is so, this just send location just like, send loca- i'll just i'll be there <laughs> you know it's just so matter of fact like there can't be any alternate like narrative because this is just we're just speaking very simple words you know mm-hmm. i think it's great <laughs> so, so let me ask this to you guys because they just announced islam makacha versus mm-hmm. charles Oliveira is happening yeah. In October 22nd in Abu Dhabi. Yep. And so that's kind of like home field advantage for Islam. Yeah. And obviously Khabib is going to be there. He's in Islam's corner all the time. And that's also his second home. And some people were stipulating that if Oliveira wins, he's going to call out Khabib. So two questions. Do you think Oliveira can beat Islam? And do you think there's any chance if he does beat Islam and does call out Khabib right there, that Khabib potentially... Accepts. I don't think so. I don't think Khabib is ever going to fight again. I really don't. There's just something like when that guy talks about his dad, like it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's an authenticity there, and, and it would be one thing if he said it was for this reason, it was for that reason. I have other goals. I want to fulfill my father's legacy like that. It wasn't that. It's and I, what's funny because I watched a, a documentary on Islam today, which obviously mm-hmm. because of Khabib, it's going to feature a bunch of him, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it showed that moment, you know, and and. I went back and rewatched the, that fight 
he didn't want to be in there with Gaethje. Go watch it. Go watch it again. The kicks are just, it's literally like, how fast can I get this fight over with and not hurt this guy too much? Literally, that's what it looks like. If you watch it, watch it again, knowing what you know about what was going on in his brain. And, and I watched it again and was like, wow, he doesn't, he's not the normal Khabib. Like, yeah, he ran Gaethje over. And I just think that just shows that when he's focused on finishing, you know, boom, he's going to finish. You know, oh, I was going to go for the arm bar, but I knew he would tap. So I triangled him instead and just put him to sleep. Right. But when he said, you know, I don't want to do this without my father. Mm-hmm. Boom. Simple as that. Like, yeah, his mom asked him not to and this and that and this and that. But at the end of the day, I just don't want to do this without my father. Um, can I think Charles beat Islam? I think he can. I don't know if he will. I feel like Charles has uh, shown us what it is to be uh, Casca Grossa again, which if you don't know, that means tough as nails in Portuguese. Okay. It's a, a jujitsu saying. Um, if for a Brazilian to call you that as a non-Brazilian is like a huge compliment. It okay. was a Carlson Gracie team phrase. So if they called you, that was like, yo, like, like this guy's tough as shit. Like don't fuck around with him, you know? But Charles has shown us that again from a champion, which I think is rad, takes damage in every fight, but just keeps coming forward. Sooner or later, you pay for that. Mm-hmm. You know, how many fights can you get clipped? And since I went back and watched Islam's loss too. I don't know if you know, if you guys have watched it or seen it lately, but. A long time ago, yeah. So it was a long time ago. And if you know, yeah, he gets, it's a flash knockout. So he hits the ground. And what's really interesting, it, watch with the energy he kicks that dude off of him with. Like, it's almost like he went down, he hit the ground, kind of was like, oh shit, I'm on, you know, Queer Street. And as the referee's touching him, the other fighters, I can't remember the guy's name, the other fighter's coming down. He knocks that dude across the cage with his legs, almost like, like hipping away to, to get up. You know, so if that, I mean, I know I'm saying it was a, it wasn't an early stoppage by any point. He got dropped. So I'm not doubting the referee's, you know, competency. That wasn't not a bad stoppage. But if, say, it's somebody that's known to let things go a little further, or let's say the referee happened to be out of position, it would have been interesting to see if, mm. if he had gotten up and how that fight might have gone. Maybe we have an undefeated, we have an undefeated Islam fighting instead, which it makes all the money, you know. But I think that he hurts his, he hurts his value in the UFC as a prize fighter because his lack of personality, right? He's super yeah. stoic. And it's mm-hmm. not just because he doesn't speak good English. That's just the type of guy he is. Yeah. You know, so we are in an era of prize fighting. That's where it's, it's super frustrating to, to get into the ability levels and the rankings because the rankings are, they're, they're garbage. Like even yeah. when they're accurate, they don't determine who's fighting who. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's why it's prize fighting. At the end of the day, like you can get frustrated and go, well, how come number one's not fighting number two? Well, because number two is the second best guy in the world that doesn't sell any friggin' tickets, bro. That's why. And this yeah. guy that's unranked sells pay-per-views and he is a prize fighter. At the end of the day, the fight game's about one thing and it's not championships. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. about making money, right? So as a fan of combat, as a fan of wanting to see the two best guys go at it, it's always going to be this, this roller coaster of emotions where you're super frustrated with the game sometimes. And you're like, Oh my gosh, the moon's all aligned. We're finally seeing the fight that we've all wanted to see. And not very often do those things usually happen at the right time. That's why I think, I think we're lucky because Islam and Oliveira are one and two. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. I think you're right. Like they're, they're both. And, 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 God bless Oliver. He's fought everyone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's going to call Connor out. Besides Islam, who else is left? Yeah. He's fought everybody else. He's going to have to fight a nobody, people, you know? 
the last three people did knock him down, but he was so comfortable they never followed him. But Islam will follow him. He said he will. Yeah. He said I will knock him down and I'll finish him on the ground. That's what he's. That's what he said. I just have to always assume the Russian wrestler is gonna. You know, like when everything is like kind of equal, like <laughs> me, like that Russian wrestler, like is gonna succeed. But I really want Oliveira to win because to me, there's a five percent chance that Khabib accepts because of her, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying you just want this to all shake out like a Rocky movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wants to be back so bad. I'm like, no, I'm... he's done. He's gone. <laughs> Even so Khabib now, is like, stop talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jaded though. As as noble and as uh, disciplined as Khabib is. So you said we live in an era of prize fighting, and it would still surprise me that Khabib has that much. You know Look what I mean? Net worth. I feel like... Look up his net worth. I... He's, he's almost a billionaire already. Khabib? Yes. Look it I mean, up. I, I, I know he's getting a lot it's of that money crazy Russian life. money, dude. And that Middle Eastern Arab yeah. money. So he's, he has <laughs> the know. best of everything. <laughs> yeah. And I think mm. it, between that and just what he wanted to give back, I just don't think fighting appeals to him anymore. I really don't. I think he looks at it as like, this is like, it's almost like, what? what? Like, it's almost like he thinks of himself as his dad now, right? Yes, that's exactly it. In his yeah. eyes, like, would his dad ever go, oh, you talk some shit to me and you beat up my fighter? Let me get in there and sign for, you know what I mean? That would never mm-hmm. have happened. But he might dad, be like, hey, cruise by the gym, let's train. His dad <laughs> did want 30 and 0, though. Like, that is on the record. Like, his dad did say 30 and 0. And when Khabib did leave the sport, I'm just saying, this is the 5%. I'm just saying, <laughs> case. But when Khabib did leave, he was adamant that he wanted to be number one pound for pound and he wanted to be considered the best ever. Right. And as time has gone on, more and more people are like, like maybe best is, lightweight ever, but not best ever. Even he is saying, what's funny is even he is saying now that he's not the best ever. I don't okay. know if you, I he's, he's actually said that Islam is better than him. He said he's that in an interview. Yeah. Recently, recently. Yeah. When he starts with the Islam, it's Islam's time, like his, his, his version of being a promoter, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say, it's promoting right now. It's his version of being a promoter. It's as close as he gets to promoting something, right? Is he's like, this guy, it's his time. Like, it's not for me. It's, it's this guy's time. And, he's, and what's funny is always like, he's, he was my father's favorite student. Yep. You know, he always said he would be a champion. And, and I think that really now for him, like nothing matters more than making sure that that kid gets a strap. So he can be like, dad, mm-hmm. I, got, I got your back. Like you weren't supposed to die when you did. You know, he wasn't an old guy. He wasn't even 60 years old yet. Like, he wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to die yet. You know what I mean? Like, that was absolutely a tragedy, mm-hmm. you know? And so he probably sees it like, look, that's God's will, you know, and that's fine. So now it's my job to make sure I fulfill that legacy. And, and between that and I think he wants to make sure that, the, that their family name is synonymous with combat sports for as long as Russia has a Russia, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that is worth more than any Brazilian guy like talking trash to him or <laughs> like drunk ass Conor McGregor talking yeah. trash. Like the fact that Conor bothers to talk trash anymore and people still are like, yeah, Conor, that dude's never going to win a fight again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's never going to win a significant fight again. We all need to, to walk it back a little bit and just remember that like they can do what they want. Like he's just not built to fight at 170. And he can't beat anybody at that weight that, 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 that they're going to want him to fight to make yeah. money. Like yeah. the top, t- I can't believe he beat anybody in the top 10 at 170. No, he's going to fight a 155er that didn't cut. Hopefully he fights Ferguson, but I want Ferguson to win. And then oh, Ferguson oh poor Tony. <laughs> Tony leaves on a. Up. Every time Tony talks, I'm just like, what? There's 
shit wrong with you, bro? Like, I know. Stop oh, this. Go you teach know how wrestling. this ends. We all yeah. know how this ends for Tony, man. Yeah. It, like, he reminds me of a really, he reminds me of Mayhem Miller once, but who got, who got, who made it a little bit further. I don't know yeah. if you remember Mayhem. I know yeah, how long you've course. been watching the game, but I know what Turner knows who I'm talking about. Like, like that, like that's a tragic tale of a guy with yeah. a hell of a lot of talent that was maybe a little too early to the party and never got that mentor to, to help just, just, just keep him like, yeah, you're going to get wild. Right. But you're still fighting, you know? And I think that's a, that's where we are with that guy right now. And we'll have to see how it all shakes out. But you guys want to talk about Kane? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I was going to, I was going to say, Arturo, you were saying some stuff about Kane too, because you saw Khabib's induction speech. Yeah, so Khabib was talking about it. So right, yeah, I was at the Hall of Fame ceremony where DC and Khabib got inducted, and they both made it a point. (laughs) Yeah, they both made it a point to bring up Kane and their support for Kane and stuff. And so, and then the news this week that he's denied bail for a third time, despite the willingness to post a million dollars a bond and accept all the requirements that the court order would be. But yeah, still denied. See, it's funny. The biggest hypocritical part about that, about that particular, you know, part of the story is here we are talking about someone who is basically being denied bail because he attacks someone who is now still in fear for their life. Correct. Is that fair? We can say that's the narrative that's being perpetuated, even though we know it's because it was a bunch of gun charges. Yes. So how is that? How come Kane's not being released ROR with an ankle bracelet? Because I think it might be fair to assume someone who was also arraigned and then released with an ankle bracelet, there might be somebody out there who might be in fear for her young life for the rest of her life. 100%. You know, so that's just one of the many. And and I know, like, it becomes a super unique set of circumstances because he didn't happen to injure the person directly responsible. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, And that's just... I don't, and unfortunately, like, this is where the, the kind of s- savage of me kind of comes out. I don't care. He could have blown that car up and I would have clapped because there's a line that, I, that there just exists for me where there, there is no empathy anymore. And if you were in the car with the person that was capable of that, then you're culpable. That's so, how I feel about it. You know, I so mean, there is the possibility that he's not guilty. Well, here's the thing. And I think Anup, I remember in the original podcast, like you kept going like, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? He followed him with the gun. And here's the thing. This actually builds a case for a mental break. If you think about it, because think about it, you don't like get a phone call and go, yo, yo, this, my daughter said that so-and-so did this to her. They go arrest him, arraign him. And he gets released with an ankle bracelet, right? No, you make the call. They come do an investigation. Kane did all the right things, if you mm-hmm. think about it, right? There was, a, there was a report made. There was an investigation. This guy was arrested, right? He, you know, he gets arraigned. He, he's you know, going to be brought up on these charges. And then instead of being kept in jail where animals belong, you know, actually rabbit animals should be put down, but this rabbit animal should be you know, kept away from children especially, right? And he gets released. Now, here's this guy who could easily kill that man with his bare hands, Right. Nothing about his behavior from that point on makes sense, does it? From a rational standpoint, for somebody that just wants to do damage, Mm. it does make sense for a father who felt like he tried to do the right thing and the system stuck it to him and he broke that. If I was his lawyer, that's the argument I'm making in court. Yeah. And and I'm going to bring brain scans and I'm going to do everything I can to perpetuate that truth. 
that here was a guy who tried to do the right thing and tried to follow the protocols for a criminal justice system and the system, the first opportunity it had, it, it, it shit on him and he couldn't take it, you know? So, so this I is think the part that's go, Artara. You go, you go. So they want to overturn the previous bail denials, but they have to provide like a change of circumstance, right? Like something had changed from that point. And they're trying to argue that the fact that Galarte and the family are not willing to testify should be the circumstance that allows the bail. And they're claiming not guilty, not willing to testify in a civil lawsuit. It is really weird. I do find it really interesting because the DA is also doing the case, is the prosecutor for both this and the Galarte case, which seems like yeah. it just doesn't seem appropriate. Right. And so, yeah, it just, I feel like there's something not coming to light. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. Do you have a thought about that, Anoop? What do you mean by not coming to light? So, like, is there some type of information that we're not getting? Yeah, facts, not in evidence, you know. Yeah. Or, or something about the story that's not public that would, you know, help maybe go, oh, that's why, you know, this, this is being, this investigation happened this way or, oh, that's why he's not, you know, he's, his bail's not being, you know, rescinded or, right. or, you know, for whatever reason, it just, cause it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially with the culture of incarceration in California right now, because everything else points to, Hey, make bail, get them out of there. We don't want to pay. You know, I think this is where the celebrity with the gun thing hurts gun, him the yeah. most. And it's tricky based on what you said too, because if he did do everything the right way, that would show that he's not insane. Right. But but then the actions on the highway were insane. So or, where was or, or right. you're hoping. Where was the break? Right. There's the break. Like I tried. I tried. I wanted to kill this guy from the second my child said something. Right. I'll tell you what, as a dad, I can tell you that some my daughter could tell me that a guy looked too stared in her eyes too closely as she was walking home from school. I go break that fucking guy's neck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A, an adult, a yeah. creepy adult. Yeah. I'm not going to even ask a question. Snap. Because you probably you, you probably have done worse to others. You know, it's such a it's such a, a topic where I just don't have any gray, and I see everything in shades of gray, except for when it comes to a crime against a child. So here's right. the fucked up part, though, and I, I agree with what you're saying. As a father, you have to do that. I'm not a father, so I can't right. speak on this. But that's the easier. I don't want to say easier way, but what's worse is what if. Your child was the one that did the. I've been up thing. I've been asked this question, and, and, and I haven't. So, so yeah, you're saying like that person in the car, yeah, like first father stuff. Here's exactly what I would do. Somebody asked when I made that first video. Someone asked me that question because I said pedophiles are animals. They do not deserve to live in every single one of them, even the ones that, and most of them were victimized themselves, and that is so unfortunate. What mm-hmm. do you do when a dog gets rabies? You have a dog. Down. You, yeah. you you just lost a dog, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. Horrible experience, right? If yeah. your dog had rabies, what would you have to do? Yeah, of course you have to put them down. Okay. You want them to suffer and so hurt somebody else. Here's what would happen. If one of, I have two daughters. If one of my daughters was a pedophile, I would put her down and then the next one would be for me. And that would be the, that would be that I would be getting off lucky. And that's exactly mm-hmm. how would I would do. I gave it a lot of thought. There is no good answer. There's no happy ending here. These are mm-hmm. broken things that can't be put back together. 
See, I agree with you. I hate what a lot of times when parents stick by like their serial killer kids or something. Nope. But then I also like wonder like maybe there's genetically I just don't have. And that I, I, you can't help but think that, right? Like yeah. maybe even like especially if you can trace back and be like, listen, I didn't miss anything. There's no trauma here. You know, my kid had a good upbringing. There's mm-hmm. there's broken. You know, mm-hmm. and that I don't know how often that happens. I don't know those statistics, but there mm-hmm. has to be a you know there has to be an amount of people with you know, sexual deviation, you know, homicidal tendencies, things like that, where it's not any type of traumatic upbringing it is just something in their body chemistry that's broken, you know? So mm-hmm. you, that's, you, you made a bad, you made a bad one, you know, you're responsible, you know what I mean? So if, if unfortunately what you made goes out there and does wrong like that in the world, then, you know, if you have the, if you have the means and opportunity, then it's up to you to take care of it. And then for me, the next step would be to, to punish myself for what, for what I had to just do and for, you know, me just maybe letting God know, like, I get it. Like, this is, this is not just, this is not just them, you know? Right. So what I find especially disturbing is that the DA is also trying to argue that however the Galarte case ends up is irrelevant to the Kane case, which I feel like, and they're even like putting dates, like they're trying to put dates behind the Kane case. So like no one knows. I find that to be, it's almost like they're protecting this guy. I was just going to say, I'd like to know, I'd like to dig deeper, like into the background of the stepdad and the mom. Yeah. And see what's going on in the yep. greater San Jose area, you know, mm-hmm. who, who might know one another, who might be connected to one another. It's a cow town up there. Mm-hmm. You know, it the is, day- it is the country. The daycare center that they ran had 10 violations because the, the last questions are suing them now yeah, was- in like civil court. Okay. And they had 10 violations, never for anything sexual, but for not having enough adults to watch over enough the kids. Staff. Yeah, because there's a number and, like for X amount of kids, you have to have X amount of staff. Yeah. And yeah. then also that, that guy that's accused of molesting Kane's son lives in that house. where yeah. the, So yeah. it, everything becomes so incestuous where it's like that is a reason why Kane should be like, what up? You can't let them back home because his home is yeah, that exactly. exact area. Yeah. So, so just ima- imagine hearing all that and, you know, just thinking about what your kid told you, you know what I mean? Like, and, and at this point you've held it together. You're, it's like a pow- you're like a keg. It's just a matter of time before you explode. And he just exploded. And listen, we assign way too high of an intellect to professional athletes than we ever should. Mm. You know, we <laughs> get this presumption, especially the more successful they are, right? The more successful the athlete, the more intellect we give them. LeBron James is a, has a less than a high school education. People care what that guy thinks about politics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I care about what that guy thinks about my jump shot or mm-hmm. how to, how to, how to like open a lane. You know, I would take any of that advice from him, how to, how to succeed as a young athlete. If for, for a mentor, my kid in athletics, all those mm-hmm. things, absolutely. Maybe even some leadership qualities, but, but that doesn't make you an expert at living life. In fact, that's the, that's the antithesis of it. Because in like, say, let's say LeBron's case, he's had a privileged perspective since he was a young teenager that no regular person can can understand. Mm -hmm. And if you take Kane back to that same level, it's not on the same level as LeBron, but he was a very successful young athlete. And I mean, young as a, as an amateur wrestler, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a certain amount of coddling that goes along with that. And I've never met Kane. I've never spoke with him. I I can't speak to his intellect, but we got to remember, you know, this guy, you know, might be, you know, a men's a member, or he might be able to, you know, need help tying his shoes. We don't know for sure. Yeah. You know, we just know that he seems to be a pretty good guy. Never hurt anybody. Good guy in the gym. 
good guy in his community, family guy, who yeah. something super awful happened to, and he had a he had a really poor reaction, and he really screwed up a bad reaction, right? Yeah, because he wasn't even successful in his bad reaction. Mm-hmm. So all those things point to a lot of ways to, based on the you know legal system we have now, that hopefully at least give him a chance at having a life again someday. Yeah, the other thing is the sentencing, 20 years to life. Yeah. That, that sounds, especially for like California standards, that just sounds so extreme for the circumstances that gun occur. Gun charge. It's a gun charge. The gun charge. So, okay, so here's the thing. So you may not know this, but one of my neighbors recently had a accidental discharge of a firearm. Mm-hmm. The gun went through my neighbor's wall. And, and that wall is probably like only like four feet from our wall, right? Yeah. So the cops come, they arrest this guy, you know, they say it's a gunshot, whatever. They search his house, they find five illegal firearms, five gun. Yeah. Right. So that's five counts of felony mm-hmm. because he has no criminal history. He's just going to get that down to one felony and probably just three years probation for that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because here's an instance where like criminal history supersedes against their guns, you know, like the, right. the, the, the what's so supposed it, to be the worst thing in California to ever get caught with. Right. Right. Like right. Guns and drugs. You could call those together and that's it for you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. But <laughs> yeah, 20 years to life sounds pretty extreme for this, for this case, especially. I mean, so not even the circumstances, but especially regarding the circumstances, but it's the attempted murder. So yeah. Technically murder is the highest thing that we worry about. That's why I really feel like if Kane just waited and beat the shit out of him and then killed him, but it was with his bare hands and it was like, oh, I didn't mean to kill him. It would have been like, all right, manslaughter, 10 years, you're out. Well, that's where I think a plea bargain could work down with you start making this argument. They're like, look, here's a guy that had to break with reality. Like, this isn't murder because it wasn't premeditated. It it may seem premeditated, but it wasn't. It was reactionary. Yeah. So his attorney tried to play the route. I'm going to go to the courthouse with a gun and chase him down. He didn't think that, you know what I mean? Like it just kind of happened after the fact. Go ahead, Arturo. Sorry. His attorney tried to play the route of like imperfect self-defense as in you respond with a, you know, like defending your child in an imperfect way. And hopefully that like can bring down the case, but the judges aren't going to hear any of that. Yeah. I think that's way too weak of an argument. I think you have to play. I mean, it's an emotional argument. This is where you're not going to you're not going to win being logical because by the letter of the law, you are guilty of what they're saying. Right mm-hmm. now, you were not successful. So that's a good thing. Right. Right. And you have no criminal history. That's a good thing. Right. Right. So what's the minimum for attempted murder? You know, oh, geez, he's still got to do like eight years or something like that. Like something ridiculous, you know, and I honestly uh, think he would have gotten less if he was successful. I think you're right. I think I the fact think that he's right. unsuccessful so and he shot the father. People are like that's the like, but if he was smart about it and somehow killed just that guy, they it was like a little bit like he was tactical. But yeah. you're, you're reckless. <laughs> like there's reckless endangerment, right? Like if you kill somebody because you throw yeah. a stone off of an overpass, right? And you weren't trying to kill them. That's yeah. fel- felony murder because you're doing something illegal, right? Anyway. Yeah, I mean, that it's all crazy to think. Yeah, it, it's funny because I tell people this all the time. Like the government doesn't shouldn't be dictating our morality. Right. And that's where these laws come into play. What is right and wrong here doesn't necessarily parallel what's lawful and unlawful. And it's, it just goes back to these ideas where we're just maybe living in just too big of a society these days. Like things are too big. We can't seem to get along. We can't seem to compromise. So what's the harm in tribing up a little bit and splitting things up and allowing different areas to decide to govern the way they see fit and to, mm. you know, to, to govern based on the way the constituency of that geographic area wants. Now, 
is it going to make some people pissed in California like me that have to leave? Because like I said, like, I, it's not fair. It's not right of me to sit there and go, I'm in the minority, do it my way when the majority of people, whether I like it or not, want to live in a particular way. I don't think it's fair. So I went to a place that's more like the way I want to live. We can really get under the ideas of what the constitution was really supposed to be, right? States were supposed to be pretty individualized as far as their, the way that they were governed. And we had this group of overseeing rules that kind of helped us understand what the federal government's role was, which was really to support us through interstate commerce and, and represent us on the world stage and, and protect us with, a, with the military, right? From there, it's just as we've gotten more developed, the government's got more developed. As mm-hmm. human interactions have got more confusing and advanced, the government's got more confusing and advanced. And now you get to a point where you give a group of people a certain amount of power, they're going to cease to do the right thing and, and represent their constituency, constituency, constituency with, from that power. And they're just going to look to hang on to that power. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing generational politicians coming in and all they're doing once they, and I don't care if you're on the left or on the right. I got the same thing to say for AOC that I have to say for the guy with the eye patch in Texas, like they're both Crenshaw. compromised. Yeah, yeah. he's compromised. Go mm-hmm. listen to some of his interviews. He's calm. He sounds like a he sounds like a congressman now. He doesn't sound like the guy that Texas elected. He sounds like a guy that's trying to sell books and trying to keep his seat by making sure he's towing the GOP's party line. Right. Everyone's a grifter. If you yeah, exactly. If you, if you learn someone's name because they're always on TV. You shouldn't trust them. I don't, I don't <laughs> care who it is. That makes a lot of sense. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. That's how I feel about that Cobra Tate guy, Arturo. Like, I like some of the oh, things yeah. he says. But, like, no, you're on too much. I think there's also, like, I think it's, like, everybody, but especially fighters. Like, everybody's talking tough, but they're talking tough on Instagram, which to me is a 13-year-old girl's right. method, why- right? Like, all social media to me is 13-year-old <laughs> girls created it. Like, so then, like, even when Rogan's talking about, like, finding your inner beast and David Goggins, I'm like, you're tweeting this. Like, you're right. fucking <laughs> making a story. You're just taking your... a dump right now, and you're staring at a screen while you yeah. tell me to be a beast. <laughs> yeah, run your miles. You don't get a story. But I guess whatever motivation and books and stuff. But it's also- <laughs> we all get to, we all, Social media allows us all to be our own superstar, right? We're our, we, we, yeah. are our, we are our own celebrity, you know, whether it's on our profile on Instagram or on our YouTube channel, on our podcast, wherever that is, whatever platform we decide to put ourselves across in that space, we're, we're LeBron James. I'm Robert De Niro, you know, I'm Dave Chappelle. I get to be the star of these, you know, of this channel, of this account or whatever, you know, it's why you see people when they start commenting, like, well, just get off my page. Like, like the sense of ownership, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, you own the fucking internet today, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I think I just feel like I could have been a good grifter. I still might be, but I just, I just feel like. <laughs> out. Let's see how rented does. <laughs> yeah, no, that's how you know I'm not good at it. Like I drifted my way into it, and it was like, oh fuck. But yeah, I don't know. I feel I feel bad for Kane, and I feel like yeah, this is like a microcosm of a little bit of what's happening in America versus right and wrong. But also it's not clean. There's like so many angles you could look at this. Like it's not clean what Kane did. It's not clean what the fucking guy Gallarte did. It's just, I don't know. It is It is a mess. Yeah. Brandon, tell, speaking of uh, internet, tell us about uh, this YouTube thing you got going on. What's going okay. on here? So 
I have, I've had a YouTube channel for, it'll be a year in September. It's, it's called Black Belt Bagger is the name of the channel. It's a moto vlog. So moto vlogging is like a subsect of like, it's like a community on YouTube. So other than jujitsu, the other thing I do more than anything else is ride motorcycles. So a moto vlogger will be somebody that rides a motorcycle and they might, they might record like with GoPros, phone, Insta360s, whatever your camera choice is. You might shoot yourself, you know, POV style, like what you can see and take people like on rides on your bike and talk about like what you're going to, what you're doing, or you might cover a topic. My channel is a lot of trash talking about other mm-hmm. people like on motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> I try to do two videos a week and one of them is always a rant. And it's usually a rant about something kind of silly, like whether it's like guys that wear like snowmobile suits while they ride motorcycles or, mm. you know, guys that, you know, spend like 50 extra thousand dollars on a motorcycle that they don't know how to change the oil in, like stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, just things that like bug me about, about, uh, about other motorcycle stuff. But sometimes I've actually crossed, I've crossed over. I've done an angry American moto vlog before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about like on Veterans Day, I like, talked about my service. And I went to like the veteran cemetery in Point Loma that I used to always go to. It's really just a hobby that is just a fun, creative outlet. And I just don't, I don't even, I, I have moments. I'll have times where I edit like crazy and I try to make like this really cool flowing video. At times where I just click record and I just throw it on iMovie and upload it. You know, yeah. and I, I don't censor my speech on it. You know, it's not something I'm trying to do to make money or anything like that. It's just a, it's a creative outlet. I'm a creative person and it's helping me learn about YouTube. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm, but it's creating for me a video library for me to watch maybe someday when I can't maybe ride motorcycles or maybe for after I'm gone. Mm. And then secondly, I'm, I'm learning about YouTube, how to create content, how to do a channel, because now that I don't own an academy anymore, I want to do something still in the jujitsu space, but not necessarily a hands-on thing. So I'm looking mm-hmm. to start a, a, a jujitsu YouTube channel, but not a jujitsu YouTube channel. So it'll be kind of like, have you guys ever seen the YouTube guy, Jesse on fire? No. Okay. So he's like a, he's like an MMA content creator. He has a couple different channels. It's like a, it's like a talking head video. He goes on. It's like, Oh, Charles Oliveira and Islam are fighting. You know, here's what I think about that. Blah, 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 blah. You know? So I, my channel would be like all things combat sports, like almost like a media outlet though. So like I might come on one day and be talking about WML and like that finale and Gordon smothering Pedro, like, and then Mm -hmm. the next Saturday, I might be talking about the UFC. Okay. And then the next Monday, I might be talking about a technique that I've been working on, a jiu-jitsu technique, you know? Mm, okay. Sometimes it might be in my gi, sometimes I might not be, you know? I just kind of want to, I want to build a, and I'm, it's going to be called Black Anvil Jiu-Jitsu Media. So that's a, a little, it's a, Black Anvil Jiu-Jitsu is something that Justin Lopez and I created a long time ago. It was an idea oh. that we had when I was fighting MMA. Like if you actually look on my old fight shorts, like the logo is actually on there. Oh, um, cool. That's a way for me to help honor his, his memory. And, and so I wanted to start something jujitsu using that name. And because I don't really want to, if I could open a non nonprofit Academy, I, I would, if I, if I could do that and I had the time and the, and the resources to go to full nonprofit and teach jujitsu like that, I would do it in a second. But as far as doing it as a way to make money anymore, I'm not really interested in that, in like that type of teaching anymore. I'd rather like stay around jujitsu. I feel like <clears throat> having a, you know, a platform to talk about it regularly like that gives you like a responsibility to yourself to, to be looking like, Oh, what's going on this weekend? You know, what did Mm. I miss? What like staying on top of the competitive jiu-jitsu scene on the competitive on in boxing in kickboxing, you know, in MMA that goes past the UFC, you know, MMA is not just the UFC anymore. And I, I don't know that, 
I mean, the UFC is about as close to the NFL as, as any fringe sports ever got as far as market share. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I hope it doesn't end up like that. You know, yeah. I hope we don't end up in a situation where there's the UFC and then Bellator is kind of like college. And then there's a bunch of upstarts. Right. You know, and that's kind of where the football is, right? There's college football, the NFL, and there's kind of a bunch of shenanigans like arena here and there, regional, semi-pro, this and that. Everybody's trying to start a football league. You know, everybody wants to watch the NFL, you know, which Mm -hmm. for as great as that is for the NFL, it kind of hurts for the rest of the market, right? You know, I think one is doing some some really cool stuff with mixing up the rule sets and things like that. You know, oh, we're going to one-round kickboxing, one-round MMA, let's go, you know? Like that's got giving guys a chance to call their shot. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's doing something different without making it a freak show, you know, in Russia, like the rule sets make more finishes. Show. The weight yeah. cuts are safer. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot the of great sales for one. Yeah. yeah they, the they bring it. My biggest, they bring, mm-hmm. you know, tie in to, to wrestle uh, Gary Tonin in a, in a jiu-jitsu match, you know, yep. like that's cool. Because, yeah. and, and a big part of that is the fan base. Cause the fan base over there is, is way more educated than the fan base is here. They yeah. know way because they've been watching it a lot longer. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they've been fans longer. They, they study the game. I think a lot more, I think your average MMA fan in, in, in Asia, like whether it's the Philippines, Japan, Thailand, you know, anywhere, anywhere, Korea, I think mm-hmm. they're probably a step ahead of your average American fan. Oh yeah. I, I- I think you're, you're, you know, maybe because I'm around people that train all the time, I hadn't realized that as much. But then being in Vegas a few weeks ago, <laughs> going to like the weigh-ins, going to the expo, yeah. I was stunned. Oh, I mean, even here, like in Florida, like I'm used to being in San Diego, you know, mm-hmm. like and not everybody in San Diego, but I had been in that. That was like my like that community was been my home for like 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. So now I live in an area where I don't really know anybody, but like all I have to do is say that I'm a black belt in jujitsu and that's it. You know, it's like I'm Hoist Gracie here, you know, it's right, like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, settle down. I'm just a middle-aged white dude. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like being, you know, being in San Diego 10, 12 years ago and doing jujitsu. That's what it, it feels mm-hmm. a lot like it. And the politics are a lot, a lot like it. They don't cross train really. <clears throat> they do a little bit at the highest levels, but it's very specific schools and mm. there, there aren't a lot of like open, open mats. Like there are no open mats like Alfredo's or like mine used to be on Sundays. Yeah. Or, uh, Legion is now. They got the big open mat on Sunday. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like that here. Like, so if there's an open mm. mat at another school, if it's not in your association, you're probably not going. Wow. You know, there is a guy in Orlando that owns an American combat club called the Temple of Doom, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah it's uh, a good name. His name's Mitch something or other. I, I, I don't know his last name. I can't remember his last name. But once a month, he, he invites every black belt to come to his gym. And, and they don't necessarily train, but they kind of bro out. And like they, the way, a couple guys will show some techniques and they'll be kind of – it's his way to try to start bridging that gap. Mm. So it was funny when I first got here. There's a really cool Brazilian guy that teaches the day class named George. And, you know, I come in and like Anthony, the guy that owns the place, I walked into, I walked into the gym and it was during kids class and his wife was sitting there, Ryan. And she's like, Hey, you know, can I help you? And I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm new in town. Just moved here from, you know, San Diego. I, you know, looking for a place to train. And she's like, Oh, so you trained before? I was like, yeah. And she's like, you know how it goes, you know, week for free, you know, once every month after that, you know, but like just run just feel down super cool. I was like, oh, this is my kind of sales lady, right? Like mm-hmm. she could tell I train and she's just giving it to me straight. She's like, yeah, I try for a week, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, this is probably the part where I should tell you that I'm a black belt. <laughs> <laughs> and she just looks at me and she's like, 
let me go get my black belt. <laughs> so I turned around and walked away and Anthony, her husband came out. We literally stood there and chatted for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Just growing out, like just chit chatting, like watching the classes go between just kind of like, he's kind of giving me his resume, you know, and I was kind of like letting him know like where I come from and like who, where I trained and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, man, come back and train, you know, whatever you want. Cause I literally just, I just rode up on my motorcycle and stopped by. Like I wasn't even, you know, I, I wasn't rolling up to a class to train. So I went back like the next day or the day after that, I think, and I trained and George was teaching the day class and he's a, he's a black belt. I don't even think he's a, I don't think he's a first degree because he doesn't, he doesn't have any even professor bars on his belt, on his belt. But I, uh, I go and I train in this class. His class was good, solid class. And we, he rolled with me and you could tell that like, he was like tr- trying to make sure that like, he was trying to show me like his good jujitsu. And I'm always like, if I'm in a place where I'm, it's not my place, it's not my mat. And by my mat, I don't necessarily mean my mat. I mean a mat where I'm comfortable, mm-hmm. a place where I've been a lot of times, where I'm amongst yeah. friends. Like there's a time and a place for everything. And the time and the place is not to go ham on the dude teaching the class. Sure. So I'm, I'm playing good jujitsu. I'm being smooth. I'm being a, kind of a pest. I'm not letting him sweep me. It was basically, it was like me. Since then, George and I have trained probably 10 times and we've had 10 stalemates, you know, mm-hmm. but, each t- but each time we train together, it gets a little more dynamic. Mm-hmm. And we have a little more fun together. And, and now it's just like a training partner. So now we're just two guys that can't, nobody's caught each other yet. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave me a good loop choke one day and I got away and I could tell that he was like, he was looking at me like, God, I can't believe you got out of that. And I, uh, <laughs> I jumped for an arm bar one day and I caught his face and like, same thing. Like he barely got away and I was like, Oh, I wish I had that back. You know, I wish I pulled on that geese leaf just a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. But the, so the black belts have been super cool. It's always the other, it's always the, the, the junior belts that are looking to check the black belt. So yeah. purples haven't been a problem at all. And either of the Browns, the blue belts like go at you like a maniac, yeah. which for me is, I got a black eye from it. Like, a, like, like on 4th of July, I was rolling on 4th of July and 24 year old blue belt gave me a black eye, you know, mm. and couldn't tell me sorry enough after the fact, but I was like, yeah, dude, it's fine. It happens. You know, it was, it was bad. He gave me a black eye and he made me bite my tongue. and and it swelled up so bad that it swelled up and i had like dry blood on my lips after the after the round oh dang yeah like and and he didn't really do anything wrong he's just a spazzy blue belt you know Mm -hmm. who's really athletic so he's jumping over me and like throwing himself underneath trying to bear and bowl me like dude this is not gonna work like slow down (laughs) and and, you know it, it was it's just fun like it's it's humbling in the fact that like I know that if I don't grab a hold of that guy and put him in a position where I'm comfortable, it's going to be a long six or seven minutes because I'm going to get tired. I'm 48 years old. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 165 pounds. You know, I'm not, I'm not running around, you know, in my 20s at, you know, 180, 190 pounds, you know, being able to just go all day long. I feel super happy that I can go train five or six rounds in a row still and walk out of there basically okay mm-hmm. you know the, the blue belts come at me but what's funny is at the end of those rounds i'll always get the hey what'd you think or you know hey you know what about this and that's where like i told uh, somebody the other day i was actually telling i had dinner with my with my dad and my brother tonight and i was telling my brother i was like it's like giving a private lesson every time i, I go to class because i always get paired up with a white belt or maybe a blue belt you know so they're getting what and i just do whatever george is showing you know mm-hmm. he's showing some spider guard stuff you know so we've been doing spider guard sweeps so i do the way he shows it and then i help the guy doing it to me you know and this guy's mm-hmm. you know probably getting the best instruction because he's getting a guy telling him step by step you know what he's doing right and what he's doing wrong and i'm going based off what george showed not even necessarily what i think might be the best way to do it now mm-hmm. 
if you're my body type and you're making a, but George and I have the same body type. So it's really helpful to go to his class because if he's doing something, it'll work for me. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not something I'm familiar with, he, he went to X guard in a way that I had never considered. And I was in love with it. It was oh, so nice. It's so cool. You know, cause I'm usually like, I'm like tipping over there, trying to throw my leg up all awkward. You know, I'm much more comfortable. I'm on top. And he's showing me like how like to go from like a De La Hiva to like hop into a single X with, uh, with basically instead of, instead of grabbing the leg and kind of pulling your whole body to it, mm-hmm. he just, he, he'll grab the leg instead of trying to move the leg, he'll leave the leg there and he'll move his body into the single X. Mm. He just goes from here and he uses the hand and he just kind of, kind of like brings his hips to it and then kind of sets himself up almost like a, like a scorpion a little bit. And I, I started doing it and I was literally just like sitting in the single X like over and over again. And what, what I found myself doing like right after the fact was something next. It's like I would sit into that single X and I would push that far knee out with my other leg and grab like a sleeve and like start mm. off balancing the person. Like mm-hmm. the technique was, wasn't, wasn't necessary. I just, needed, I just needed a comfortable way to get to that position. And then right. all of a sudden the techniques were just showing themselves to me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's always... Dude, that's, that's the best feeling in jujitsu. Although I feel like a lot of times, at least at this point now, I don't know, I learned something and the reflection is like, you're an idiot. Why didn't you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, even when I jumped in the X like that, I was like, how come I've never done that before? Like, I'm not afraid to like lift my hips up off the mat. I'm not afraid yeah. to get like, get like dynamic. Like, like, why didn't I ever consider, why was I always making the person step to put my legs there? Like I can just go to them. I tell people mm-hmm. all the time, it's easier to move you than it is to move them. Yeah. So move you. I say that all the time. Uh, <laughs> like, why are you trying to move that 400 pound guy? Just move you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. And that's, listen, that's survival against Russ Edwards one-on-one right there. Yeah. Like, well, your main <laughs> training partner for a decade's 300 plus pounds. Yep. You learn how to move you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm that blue belt you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not, <the laughs> not that I'm like trying to tap you, but my thinking is like, well, I, I should try to make him miserable. So he respects Yeah, it's me. funny too, because I start laughing at him. Like they'll take my back and I'll start giggling. And like they'll put a choke in. And I'll just be laughing. Like I'll be laughing. I won't even grab. I'll wait like 20 seconds before I even grab. I start defending the neck and I'm just using like a little bit of chin position. And just, I just, as I do that and they start getting hyper focused on the grip, I start walking my, I just walk out of the hooks and just start yeah. walking. To the <laughs> and like before they even realize that I'm turning, I'm belly downing and they're like, oh, I was like, didn't you just have my back? I just kind of look at me. I'm like, don't get hyper focused on one part of the, you know, one part of the position. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'd be on your back whispering, just please pretend you're a little scared. Like, just make me feel <laughs> a little good. I'll lift, I, I like to do. I like to lift my chin like this. Just give you a chance to like just look <laughs> at my whole neck. Like, come on, just give me a chance and get that. Get a connection, and then I'll start from there. Like, I, uh, I'm not afraid to do that with anybody. I'll give anybody my back, and like, there's a there's a few guys that have my number, like long term training partners, where if they get to my back, like. It's a dog fight, but generally speaking, like for me, the back is a transitional position. Mm. Like you take it, but you're not keeping it. You might keep it for a little while, but I'm eventually getting out. Mm. Like the, the chance of me escaping is so much higher than the chance of you making me tap that I'm comfortable with you taking it. Mm. Especially when I'm not talking like a, from like a, like a comp, like a points or competition perspective. Like I know you can't finish me there. What do I care if you take it? Maybe I'm a little tired. It's a great place to rest. You know, <laughs> if you if you're if were going to get finished, what would you most probably get finished with? Jeez. I get asked that all the time. I was like, all right, if I like some, like another person will ask me, maybe they had that hard time with me. They'll be like, all right, if I'm, if you're going to fight you, what would you go for? 
Yeah. And so like, I usually tell them my honesty, like, okay, here's my weaknesses. Here's what you should do. Yeah. I'm I'm curious though. What would you say for that? Yeah. I would, even though I have iHeart footlocks tattooed on the inside of my bicep, I -hmm. tattooed that on the inside of my bicep in 2009. That was a long time ago. I'm still a pretty high level leg locker. Don't get me wrong. But if you need to make me tap, I can tell you the last time I, the last three times I haven't been tapped in Florida. I'm not saying that to be arrogant, but it just is what it is. When you're a black belt, you don't get tapped out that often unless you're training super hard with other black belts all the time. Right. It's just the nature. And even when I was visiting San Diego, I trained with Sophia a few times, a couple of times. And like, she, she, uh, she throws the leg locks at me like crazy, but she only weighs 130 pounds. So it's Mm kind of like, she's been the person that's elevated my leg lock game the most because I've been able to play, like play so hard with her and be able to survive bad mistakes. Mm. So that's made my defense what it is today. But if you want to try to really make me tap, you're probably going to have to heal with me. Mm. You have to put me in a position where I don't have a choice because I'm going to get hurt. Mm. Like if it comes down to like, you must tap me, but in training, like I don't get choked. I don't get tapped that often because people try to choke me all the time. And like, I'm really good at slowing jujitsu down when it's time when, when I'm playing defense, slowing things down, framing up and making everything really difficult, you know, making every time you want to make an adjustment, my chance to get out of there. Right. So mixing frames with explosions is, is the key to the key to transitional jujitsu to go from like a static position to a transition, especially when you're being dominated is the, is making a frame and then exploding through that frame. Mm at the right time once you put all those together all of a sudden people are like man i can't tap that guy can't tap that i spend then you take the gi off then it just gets exponentially harder yeah you know the second you start sweating yeah you know and that's like you know no gi like i don't really mind training leg locks because it's so hard to get that finish after a couple minutes (coughs) but in the gi go ahead do you think do you think it's like a little cheap to use the sweat as a crutch to not get tapped no because that hurting the self-defense they're sweating too. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like, what am I supposed to do? Wipe myself off. Like, whoa, 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 Stop the match. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead. Of what you're doing. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like, know. That's like saying, Hey, do you think being too fast is, is a good reason not to get hit? Yeah. <laughs> that's a crutch for why you think being quick is why is a crutch for Floyd Mayweather not getting hit. It's just a part of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. It did piss me off about Floyd Mayweather that he was. <laughs> I I'm old school. You have to do the hardest possible path to victory, and no. then you'll then you'll that, get my respect. That's the opposite of what he's done. <laughs> so you're a Canelo guy, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I appreciate Saint Pierre now, but like that was one of the reasons I didn't oh, love Saint Pierre. Me Saint too. Pierre that's was, ex- that's like, exactly why? I fell out of love with him after Max Sarah. Showed him he wasn't a god. Yeah. Started fighting very safe. Yeah. Exactly. And that and that was it. And then it became about winning fights. You know, mm-hmm. it, it became about winning fights and building a legacy and being the champion. And it, it's that telltale like fighter movie, right? Someday they'll make the GSP movie, and that'll be the part of the movie where it's like, oh, the fans are turning on him. Oh, but yeah. then he retires beloved, and then he. He has these demons he has to struggle with, and then he comes out and fights a paper champion in another weight class. So yeah. considered, oh wait, was that out loud? <laughs> the way they wrote that shit, it might as well have been WWE, dude. Like mm. it was literally just manufactured. Mm-hmm. You know, the only part was Bisbee's dumb luck to happen to be the paper champion in question. Like, yeah, that was just dumb luck on his part. Right, right place at the right time. You know, and there's an argument that Henderson 
beat him or almost beat him. Like that fight could have been stopped. Yeah. I haven't yeah. watched it in a while, but like, and, and he was what ranked like 11th at that time, but they, they should have given it to him. He's a legend. Yeah. Like let and, him get that opportunity. But this well, got shit, who do you think GSP wanted to fight? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or Dan Henderson, a guy who knocks, who, who's highlight reel of hall of famer knockouts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a guy Henderson, with one eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Henderson might be the most underrated, I think like legend. I think he, what's funny about him. And, and I think eventually like when all things come back around and we start paying these, these, the, the real guys, the respect that they deserve, the real guys that are the foundation of modern MMA. And that's the Dan Henderson era of MMA, mm. the Dan Henderson, the, 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 even Fedor to, to his credit, like he'll never, because of the way MMA was then he'll never get that respect that he really earned because the guys that watched him lose to Daniel Cormier at the strike force mm-hmm. open, open yeah. weight grand prix aren't the same guys who were watching the way he would just seemed invincible in pride yeah. yep. like the aura of Fedor was just something just a, it was just crazy and even when you watched it on video it just wasn't the same as when you watched it when it happened you know yeah. and these guys are, are kind of being forgotten right now especially dan because dan's not trying to keep a high profile mm-hmm. yeah. he's training some guys he's living his life he's enjoying his retirement you know he he deserves i mean when he was both the what the the middleweight and the light heavyweight or whatever yeah, champion, mm-hmm. the yeah, one eighty five and the two hundred five champ of pride, yep. yep. Like after after the freaking axe murderer had had run that division forever, you know. And here comes this guy who just has dynamite in his hands and can't be taken down. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's all it was. Like Dan Henderson was a was a a less good kickboxer, but a better wrestler than Chuck Liddell, who was a little bit smaller, you know. Right. And, and, and Dan Henderson had the huge. Yeah. I was just yeah. about to say that the biggest head in the game. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually yeah. had dinner with Dan once I trained with him once. And then a couple years after that, I had dinner with him because my wife's, my wife's best friend's boyfriend at the time was one of his spot. His company sponsored Dan. It's one of his corporate mm-hmm. sponsors. And uh, they hosted dinner at Mr. A's in San Diego. Oh, yeah. They just happened to invite us. I didn't even know Dan was going to be there. And we get there and like Dan's there and his wife at the time, not his wife now is, is with him. And the guys were all falling all over him. And like, I just said hello when I got there. I knew he didn't remember me from because he had come to the fight club when I trained there. And we, I had trained a couple of times with him in MMA practice. I was like a blue belt at the time. And he, uh, after a little while, I was chatting with him. I was like, I don't know if you remember, but like we trained together like over at Charlie's. He's like, at the fight club? He's like, yeah. He kind of looked at me. He's like, yeah, man, I remember you. And he like, and then it was funny <laughs> just to watch like the dynamic of the way the other guys in the room started treating me. After like Dan, <laughs> I felt I felt like a superstar. I'm like, yeah, man, I know this guy. It's fine. <laughs> but That's this funny. is I want to say this was like right after the H bomb, or something like that, or yeah, right around that time. It was it was at one of his high points, right for sure. A super cool guy. Like I don't really have. I've met a lot of pros, a lot of UFC household names, like especially the early guys because they were there's just so much more access. Like you might mm-hmm. compete against one in a, in a jujitsu tournament, you know? Right. But I've always had a good experience with fighters, even fighters like, like all war machine. Like, Oh, that's right. War I knew him just as John from undisputed. He's just another guy like on like the total combat, like fighting circuit that would, that would fight, you know, train a couple of times with him. Super nice guy. Like 
kind of animal in the training room, but back then everybody was animal in the training room, you know, mm-hmm. but also well before the Christy Mack stuff, he had a super bad reputation in San Diego. You know, he remember when he went after the dude that we trained with at throwdown. I uh, remember do the, remember something remember about the black that. I wasn't dude there. with the reggae guy, the black guy, yeah, the bartender yeah. and PB guy called him the N word and spit on him. And the cops chased him down Garnett. Yeah. That was about a year before the Christy Mack stuff happened. It's crazy. You know, just like, and I think I said it back then. I was like, dude, John's wild, man. Like I, that guy, you know, a broken person that just happens to be doing this sport, you know, mm-hmm. they maybe get into it thinking that that's the outlet they're looking for. And they don't realize that like, all it is, is just manifesting, you know, this energy that you shouldn't have in your life, you know, if you want to be productive, so, you know, just because right. you can fight doesn't mean you should fight. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I showed Arturo this video. I already didn't watch it, but I was like, you shouldn't watch it. But there was a fight that happened in Australia Mm-hmm. That kind of became big news because there's like three guys on three guys, but group A, which are the people trying to walk away, two of the people are walking away and one of the guys was talking shit. And then there was group B, three guys that were chasing those other two guys. Oh, jeez. So, so group A is like <laughs> kind of walking back, but the one guy in group A took out a knife and was like, yo, back up, but still mm-hmm. talking shit, but kind of backing up. Right. Like, walk away. <laughs> and then the group B people just kept walking forward and one guy kind of went at him through a punch and then the guy went to slice him and he backed up. But then another one of his friends walks up and he fucking stabs him in the neck. And the video was the most clear video I've ever seen of somebody dying like that. And I wasn't right. expecting somebody dying when I watched right, it. Right, right, right. I was just going through fight videos and then just the amount of blood that came out and how yeah. quickly the guy died and like, it was like 20 seconds. It like yeah. looked like it didn't even look like a movie because in the movie it's more brutal. This is right, like right, surgical. Right. But I was reading the comments and it was interesting because people are like, fuck, they're fighting at 4 a.m. They're all drunk. Now, were these people really backing up and trying to get away? Because he did have a knife. And in Australia, it's like the gun thing. You're not allowed to have a knife. By the fact that you already have a knife, it takes away some of the self-defense argument. Right. But it was somewhat self-defense because those other dudes clearly wanted to fight even when they saw the knife. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, then it goes back to like, listen, maybe, maybe that shouldn't be a crime. Maybe that shouldn't be a crime at all. I see willing combatants figuring something out. Yeah. You willing to get after it? I'm willing to get after it. You know, like there was a time when that was okay. It wasn't that long ago. It was 120 years ago. Yeah, that is crazy to think about it like that. You know, like you have willing participants in a violent event. I feel like if you're all of age, then what happens happens. And there's no crime because there's no victim. So the, you're dude both that, the dude that stabbed that person, you'd be okay with? Yep. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I Because that guy could have walked away, right? Yeah. The guy that got stabbed, you, t- you said to yourself, he kept coming 100%. Forward, they, right? They, he could have disengaged. I'm like, whoa, I want to fight, but I don't want to fight with a knife. Now, exactly. he's, not, now he's not willing right. to do that. He's a, he's a victim. Right. 100% yeah. he clearly could have disengaged. Yeah. And some people were saying, well, the other people should have just walked away. But then it becomes a little tactical where they were like, well, then if you walk away, you have your back to these three dudes yeah. that are walking well, you towards back, you. You, got, you back away. You know, that's that's situational awareness, right? You keep keep your eye on them, walk away, cut an angle and, fi- and find safety, you know, with your yeah. peripheral. That's what you're like. How, how long do you back away when yeah. do you have a chance to really get out of the situation? Yeah. Exactly. Like things aren't always easy either though and then he was talking shit but then people were like well maybe he was talking to shit to try to intimidate them to keep them from continuing to walk towards yeah, yeah. i don't know I, it becomes so tricky well 
people want to have that. People want to have the story, right? They want everybody wants to have the street mm. fight story, the bar fight story until it's time to have a street fight or have a bar fight. And then you want to have the story, but you don't want to accept the consequences, whether you do it to someone else or it's done to you after the fact. You know, a couple of years ago, we were training at On Track Wellness, our affiliate there in Point Loma. We're training in the morning. Me, Nate, one of the owners, a couple of my, couple of my purple belts or brown belts now, we're just finishing up. And Nate was leaving to go do something. And they've had, they have a huge, tra- it's Point Loma. They're having a huge transient problem. It's behind the sports arena. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's low lifes all over the place all the time. Well, he's walking out to his truck and there's this kind of tweaker looking young guy in his 20s, like, like hoboing about. And he's like, yo, man, like, I need you to, you know, keep it going. Like, get off my property, please. You know, there's no trespassing. He's like, you don't tell me what to do. You know, rah, 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 rah. And like, we hear the ruckus because they have a big roll up garage door and start walking out. And I walked up, literally, I was wearing just gee pants. Like, I didn't have a shirt on, you know, typical Brandon after training. Start, let's get naked, you know? Start walking out and like I'm looking at this guy and I'm looking at Nate. I see Nate's like Nate's got his finger, he's got a knife on his backpack, like on the strap, and he's got his finger on. Like he's he's prepared to protect himself, clearly, but he's also clearly shook. Like I can tell that like this guy's making him nervous. So I put Mm. myself between my student and the person, and I'm like, yo, man, like this is his business. You're trespassing. I don't know what's going on here, but you need to leave right now. And he pulls out, he pulls a knife out. Really? Okay. And he pulls a knife out. And what's funny is Nick and Chance are standing behind me at that point. And what's funny is kind of what you said. But in that moment, you have to make a decision, right? Either you're going to back up or you're going to move forward. Well, hand of God. And you can check the people that were there that were witnesses. I took a step forward. And I said, as calmly as I could, I'm going to take that away from you. And I'm going to cut a hole in you with it if you don't get out of here right now. And then I took another step forward. And he started taking steps backward Hmm. as he's you know, closing the, it was a big box cutter. He's like closing the box cutter. He's backing up. He's still talking and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to engage. I'm not trying to have a fight. This is a de-escalation tactic, but it's, it's one with a consequence that I have to be willing to pay. Right. Like mm-hmm. if this, if I step forward and he comes forward, we're in, I'm in a knife fight in that moment. I am now in a knife fight. And like, mm-hmm. although said, when we learned about knife fighting at the U first rule of knife fighting, somebody you're going to get cut. So you yeah. have to be prepared for that. So in that moment, I made the decision, like, Whatever happens next, I, it's because I wanted it to happen. I decided that that's the direction this was going because I saw it as the safest way to deescalate, mm. you know? And I let him tell, tell us, you know, tell him he's going to tell us how he's going to, you know, do this to us and do that to us. And I'm like, yeah, bro, keep saying whatever you want as long as you're saying it while you're backing up. And I just kept walking exactly. forward. Mm-hmm. He backed out of the parking lot and went away, you know? When it comes to situations like that, sometimes, like, it's people – People, like I said before, they want to they want to have the story. They want to have that experience, but they don't understand what comes with writing that check. Mm-hmm. You know, like you might have to cash it. Yeah, that video changed yeah. my perspective. Like, and- don't don't run around getting in street fights. That's like I said. I think I said that on the last podcast, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't run around getting in the street fights because I'm a friggin' adult. You know, adults don't do that for the and- most part. <laughs> The guy that got stabbed was 20. I think the guy that did the stabbing was 23. So it's like peak testosterone oh, yeah. age. And the guy, but you were a trained combatant. You yeah. have a black belt. You're like a doctor in fighting. So your mental clarity is there. Like the tall guy, like the there's a little guy that was like throwing punches at the guy with the knife and he was moving and weaving. And so he got away. He got lucky, but he could have mm-hmm. definitely got slashed. The other guy just kind of walked up thinking he had his friend's back. And he was just tall and stoic and his hands were down. <laughs> and it's like he wasn't prepared. Like yeah. to him, mm. 
you know that guy has intimidated plenty of people in his past just by his size, but mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. And then it was just a quick jab to his neck, and he holds his neck, and he's just surprised that something happened. Yeah. And he now the guy that's stabbing him can use this defense. This big dude rolled up on me. Like, there's more than one guy. I didn't know what exactly. to do. You know what I mean? Like, so I stabbed him. What was I supposed to do? Look how big he is. Look how small I am. But the mm. same thing with, like, the Cain Velasquez thing, to bring it all around, you're not allowed to have a knife. So right. having a knife in the first place means you were almost looking for violence. Fuck. Right. And so it's just, like, two people's lives are multiple. Their family's yeah. lives. Everybody's fucked now. Because and it just it. comes all the way back. Like you said, it was good to bring it back to that way because then it goes right back to, you know, like what like you said, like having the gun, like there's the law, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's why I say, listen, the government, your moral compass, you know, shouldn't be based in law. You know, what's right and wrong isn't necessarily what's legal and illegal. You know, like it should never have gotten as far as it did with the whole cane thing. It should never have escalated the way it did for those kids on that street. They should have yep. been able to have a have a little scuffle. Right. What's wrong with exactly. a little rough and tumble? Yeah. What's wrong with a black eye? What's wrong with two guys having an argument? punching each other in the face a couple of times and then like talking about it like a couple of days later or maybe never. You know? I agree. And fight on the grass. I'm t- like, I hate seeing <laughs> they're like fighting on car. I'm like, why not? Like, yo, just be like, yo, let's walk a block. There's a park here. I would respect so many people like, that said that. Like, I feel like if I was going to get into a fist fight with another middle-aged guy, I would try to negotiate it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, bro, we're for sure. I'm for sure going to punch you. Like, like I decided that whatever you said is too wild. I'm not going to co-sign it. And I'm going to put hands on you right now. But we're both men of a certain age. Instead of doing it here on this concrete floor, this bar, or this, you know, grocery store or, or wherever we, or this parking lot, there's a grassy knoll right there. Yeah. It will be a much better landing for you. Let me illustrate <laughs> that if we do hit the ground, I'm going to be on top of you. So I'm not going to take the brunt of this. So let's just take it over here. You know, we can do our thing and then we'll go about our business. You know, like I feel like one, the world would be a safer place. Yeah. If people could what, do that. You know what's funny is my buddy James once <clears throat> got into a bar fight. He was blindsided. I don't even think he was part of the fight, but he's blindsided and KO'd. All right. But he was able to find out who the guy was that KO'd him, showed up at his door, knocked on his door. He's like, Hey, you're the guy that blindsided me. There's a park across the street. We're fighting. And the guy's like, Fine. That that's <laughs> fair, actually. And they both fought at the park. And I find that to be so funny. That, like, two guys <laughs> They went to the park on the grass. They fought. Like it was great. There you go. I don't know. Like there. And if, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you got your buddy has ass beat again, he's like, "See, I told you." <laughs> uh, he's like, "Shit, that backfired." <laughs> but at least, at least he took a chance. For I, sure. Yeah. I, I used to go to this bar in the city, and my sister said something like, "This bar back was like a dick to her," and so. I took him, I brought him outside and I punched him in the stomach. It was like when I first started training, I was like, you're a dick. Like, you know, like, I don't know what I was trying to do, but like, actually, I remember my sister asked another friend of ours to say something. I'm like, why didn't you tell me to say something? I'm your brother. So I felt like a little offended. Like I should be a little violent, but not so violent because we're also a drunk mess sometimes, you know? So I was like, whatever, I'm going to hit him in the stomach. But then a week later, I go to the same bar and that guy's brother was there. And I didn't know. And that guy's brother actually bought me a drink. So we were drinking. And then he goes, I found out what you did to my brother. Come outside. And so it's like him and four Eastern European dudes and me and this one (laughs) other guy. And he goes, yeah, we're going to fight. And I'm like, I'm going to kill you. He said something like this. And I told him, I was like, 
okay, how about we fight, but we don't kill each other? Like, we, <laughs> I was like, I was like, we could legitimately just fight. I was like, but we don't have to stomp on our heads or there's no reason we should kill each other. I was like, you know, your brother's a pussy because you're out here. Because he said something about my sister. And I was like, you might be right about my sister, but the same applies to your brother. Like, so we're fighting their battles. (laughs) And I think like he took that logic as like, okay, he's like logical. Where I feel like if I was like a young drunk kid, they're like, we're going to fight. It just takes the steam. When the other person's not like getting hyped up, it takes the steam out. I made a guy cry once Mm. because we we, we were going to get, my wife got into, my wife was my girlfriend at the time. It was in OB. It was right in front of South Beach at the end of Newport. Mm-hmm. Um, I was inside the bar. My wife was outside the bar with a group of girls, a bunch of girls I worked with across the, across the street when I worked at a bar there. And this guy came down the street and I happened to know him. He's an acquaintance who owned a business. He's a hairdresser. He owned a business right there in Ocean Beach. <laughs> and he knew what the girl, one of the girls and like a couple of the girls were having an argument and the girl that he knew was one of them. And like, he like tried to like big league and like tell all the girls like, you fucking whores, shut the fuck up, blah, 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 some shit like that. And like uh-huh. my wife was like, what'd you say? He's like, you heard me, bitch, or something like that. She's like, oh, really? She goes, and she literally is like, so I put my hand in his face. and go, you wait right here. And she like turned around and walked into South Beach where I was hanging out. And she's like, that guy just called me a fucking bitch. And I looked and I looked at him. And I was like, it's that fucking hairdresser dude from around the corner. And I walk out. I was like, what's up, bro? And he's like, hey, man, what's up? How are you? I was like, I'm not doing too good. You just called my chick a fucking bitch. And the look on his face went white. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. I'm like, yeah, bro. Oh, fuck. I was like, now I got to whoop your ass. Like, how about that? He's like, he like literally like wouldn't make eye contact after that. And I was like looking and, you know, Arturo, how like at the end of Newport before like the pier and stuff where like, there's parking lot on the left hand side. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's why I, that's, I was like, let's go down this parking lot. And like, we'll go right down there where it's dark. Like, it'll be quick. It doesn't have to be a thing. Like, let's go. And I just was like, come on, let's go. And we started walking. And he's like talking to me on the way. And he's like, man, I, I didn't just, I didn't know that was your lady. And I was like, we well, shouldn't be talking to fucking chicks like that in general. Cause everyone is someone's lady, bro. And someone's mm-hmm. going to beat your ass over. This just happens to fucking be me this time or, or something like that. And he literally started like crying. Oh, like, up. <laughs> my entire heart. I didn't want to fight anymore. Yeah, I, bet. I, yeah, I didn't fight him. I didn't fight him. Yeah, but what's funny yeah. is a couple guys that were regulars at my bar were like wandering around at the same time. So I let this guy off the hook and I start walking back. And a minute later, him and that guy started getting into a fight. Oh, like a, both fits right behind me. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I just look and I was like, oh my gosh. I walk back and like at this point now, my 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 wife is arguing with that chick, his friend. Like they're like all up in each other's faces, like talking oh, shit to each other. Gosh. And I'm like. What is going on right now? Like, I remember walking up to her and me like, come on, let's go. She's like, all right, let's go. And as we're walking away, like the chick is still like John at my wife. And like, my wife's from El Cajon, bro. She doesn't mess around. Like she's like old school East County chick. So she's like talking back to her. And finally, I literally stopped in the middle of Newport. And I'm like, let's either we're going home or you're going to beat this chick's ass. Which one is it? She turned around. <laughs> And she hit that chick with the three piece, like, like, oh, like with a tube top. I told this story on another podcast. Like she literally hit her with two punches, pulled her tube top back up because it started falling down and then put her away with the right hand while she was wearing <laughs> her engagement ring and split this chick who I worked with, by the way. Ooh, there's another bartender at my job, split her eye open with her diamond oh. ring. And we turned around, we walked and we went home <laughs> the next day or like two days later, she and I had to work together. And like oh, my wife came in and like ordered a beer from her. <laughs> wow. Good times. Good times. Good times. I think, <laughs> I think when you're younger, you realize 
that a lot of these situations are also your fault. So that's oh, yeah. kind of oh. just like whatever. Like I, yeah, Mercury's in retrograde, whatever. We're a bunch of like that's why it shouldn't be. You know, the consequence for having a scuffle in a in a in a street fight, like the consequence shouldn't be life changing. You know what I mean? It should yeah. be day changing, week changing. It's inconvenient because right. you have a black eye or have to get a stitch or you know what I mean. Shouldn't have to go get like a full set of teeth. You know, you shouldn't have to have reconstructive right. surgery on your face because someone caved it in, you know, with hammer fists because they couldn't control themselves. Or an assault charge with two willing parties. That too. Like, yeah. like or, or like the guy wanted to fight, so you whooped his ass, then he called the cops and they're banging on your door at four o'clock in the morning with a warrant, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not fair either. You know, you were down last night, now you're not down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I would never, ever call the police to, 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 to solve a physical like altercation that had already happened. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not who I am. Like I might blow your car up after <laughs> I'm not calling cops, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then again, I'm a grown up. I try not to, I don't have those types of relationships anymore. You know, yeah. if I don't want to be around somebody, I just, I'm not around them. I remove myself from situations that I don't want to be in. I, there's no room for that negative energy in a successful life. That's the biggest difference between, I think being in your thirties and being in your twenties you're just not in those situations as much, you know, oh, yeah, like yeah. less you single, find yourself... you're less drunk. You're just less like, and if you are still there, like you're like, bro, you're so late to the party. Like there's no hope for you anyway. You know, yeah. if you're like <laughs> 38, 39, like still out in the club, like four or five times a week, you know who they are, Arturo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like you, those people are going to get their ass kicked though by those like 23 year olds you know that are like well, come, ready what, what, what ends up happening is, is by the time you're that age you can afford those bottles right yeah so you got the you got the boy bottle rats coming and like now they just want to be your, your your little bro because you know mm-hmm. you can afford that $2,000 bar tab at the end of the night that they can't afford and all the mm-hmm. girls still want to sit at your table because, you, because you're buying drinks you know mm-hmm. so that, that's what usually happens with those guys and you just look one day and you're like, dude, do you realize that everybody you're hanging out with is 15 years younger than you? Yeah. You know, you're like, how gross is that? Yeah. <laughs> I want that life. I don't, how could anybody look at their life and be like, yeah, like the bang energy guy. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, like if he's still alive, I don't know. I haven't seen anything from him in a while, but that guy was wild. This wild old dude just acting like a fool, you know? Like, I don't know, man. Like teach their own, but you look, you look ridiculous. No, there's yeah. something very dirty about that. But then there's something <laughs> about that that I still want to do, like, occasionally. <laughs> well, what's funny for me is... Like, can I do that on the every second Saturday or something? Well, it's know? like, if I, I am actually totally down to still, like, be a degenerate with my friends and have a good time. It's the part where you start to cross over and feel like, if, like, if I've got kids in my 20s and I'm out being a degenerate, I don't want to be out be a degenerate out with other people in their 20s. You know yeah, exactly. I mean? No, you can't. Like, just let me hang with my degenerate friends that are in their 30s and 40s and we'll be fine. And, like, it'll be a good time. Like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want those 22-year-old girls over here. Get out of here. Like, you're yeah. I have kids in your demographic. That's not cool for me. And I think especially as a girl, dad, it, like, hits me different, man. Like, of course. When I'm out, like when I was working at that bar that I was working at before, like the girls would come in. And I'd be like, you look like you go to high school with my kid. Like, what are you doing in here? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just I, I just don't even see them as adults, let alone like a party companion, you know, right. or even decor in an atmosphere where I'm having like being a degenerate. It's like, I guess I got to go to the strip club that like specializes in like MILFs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh. Well, that's how you know you're being responsible. You know, like I just, it's just, and, and I'm sure, I mean, there's, there's plenty of guys in my demographic that like go the other way, right? The younger, the better. They're like trying to f- capture, 
capture the end of that youth and they're in the midst of that midlife crisis. I'm just, it's just not for me. One, it seems like a lot of work, mm-hmm. like a lot of work. Like I got mm-hmm. one chick. I don't need any, I can barely handle her. Like I don't need any more <laughs> girls in my life. I got mm-hmm. two daughters and a wife. That's more than enough trouble for one guy to handle. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of running around and trying to like keep the, keep the, keep the attention of a woman in her twenties today yeah. How is that even possible? I, I tell my girlfriend that all the time. I'm like, you think I can? I can't multitask. Like, and that's like doing regular house stuff. Like, even if I wanted to, like, how could I ever how make two people happy? Chick. I can barely handle the chick I have now. Yeah. <laughs> I avoid her. I'm sitting in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> I live in Central Florida. And I'm sitting in my garage. Okay, I'm trying to avoid girls. I'm not trying to find. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? In the garage. Where else? Would I, like, it's so funny, too, because she literally looked at me like I'm crazy. Like, because the girls keep the house super cold. Like, it's a Vegas hotel room inside my house, you know? And, like, it's too hot. It's too cold in there for me. Like, so I just come out to the garage and kick it out here. Mm. Amanda, are you listening? That's my girlfriend's name. Like, seriously, we fight all the time about the temperature. And she's like, hang out with me. I'm like, no, it's too cold. That's my way of slightly punishing her. It's like, no, I'm going to hang out outside on the deck and yeah. I'll be here on the yeah, deck the like, on, like, in the dark. Just it's, like, the- it's like a Vegas <laughs> hotel room in my house all the time in Florida. I think it's because uh, my daughters are, are like our AC in Point Loma. Like we needed it there because we had exposed roofs and no insulation and we lived like backed up to a uh, hill. So we got like sunlight all day long and it got really mm-hmm. hot in there. And the AC never really, it would bring it down to like the mid seventies in the summer. But like, this thing will be set at like 72 and like, there'll be like condensation on the doorway oh, man. <laughs> like building up from the door to the garage. Just cause you walk in, you're like, it is not 70, anything in here. It's like in the mid sixties. Yes, exactly. That's how I feel. I'm like, it says 72. Yeah. It is not 72. Like it's like 64 degrees in here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, learn how to suffer. It's the summer. It's supposed to be hot. Like we're destroying the earth. Like just fucking <laughs> suffer a little bit. Like it's good. I just don't want to be cold while I watch, you know, Ozark. You know, I was. Yeah, I love how you turn your 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 issue on the temperature to a global issue. It is a global issue. <laughs> I like the earth. Yeah, yeah. It's just going if to be you, hot. If you're like, gonna make me feel bad you can say in my home because I'm cold, you. like happen? Just, you can say that with just global warming in general, right? Just learn to be hot. Yeah, just yeah. learn. You gotta, you gotta prepare to be hot. <laughs> it's getting hotter. Fine, I'm just prepared to be hot. And yeah. she'll wear, I love, I love shitting on her for this. So this is what she'll I wear like, a sweatshirt like at the same time. <laughs> she's wearing a sweatshirt and sweatpants and like a blanket. She has like two blankets on the sofa. I'm like, you're cold. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, you're freezing. This is bullshit. Like now you're just in a Mexican standoff for the country. I know. It's like, like no moment they're wrong. We just, we like literally like, we'll just go up the stairs and we're always just like up and down. Like, did you, yeah. And did you start training? How old were you? I was 32. 32. And when yeah. did you get your black belt? 2015. So like how old were you? Were you I was 40? 42. I was right right after my 42nd birthday. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so I I was just under 10 years of training. Like within like like a month shy. Yeah, it's not too late. I, yeah, I, I mean like I'm always trying to get people to still join. I'm like you're 37, so like Well, I, people we're, and that's one of my favorite things when people talk about it like, "Oh, well, cuz I look kind of young, you know, for my age." People are like, oh, how old are you when you started? I'm like 32. They're like, oh, how old are you now? I'm like, well, 48. Like, oh, when did you get your black belt? Like, yeah. 2015. Oh, like, yeah, it's yeah, I was in my 40s when I got my black belt. Like, I trained mm-hmm. like a monster through my 30s. Like when when I was in my 30s, everybody thought I was in my 20s. You know, yeah. like 
I remember when I met you, I had no idea that you were as old as you were. I was yeah, like, you're yeah. not in your 20s? I was like, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, just, I just showed up and trained. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. a, it was never a talk about, oh, the master's this or anything like that. We just, everybody in the room was training and there was an expectation if you wanted to be in the room. And all I really wanted when I was there was to get invited to that, behind that black belt training session that Elias used to throw. And I knew if I trained hard enough, I'd get noticed. And that's exactly what happened. You know, mm -hmm. then I got the keys to the candy store and I got to go train with the pros. I feel like I'm on that same, well, not the same, because I'm not as consistent, but <laughs> I would love to get a black belt. And I hope, like, yeah, by 45 or something, you know? Hey, you know, thing. when you stop, like, thinking about it, and, like, it just kind of, I said this when I got my black belt, like, it, in retrospect, it went by so fast. From white to black, it was just under 10 years. But it, it really, like, to think now that, like, I've been a black belt, as long as I've like longer than I've been all the other belts put together now, because I, I was, mm. yeah. So it's been almost seven years that I've been a black belt and I was a brown belt in six years and a few months. Right. So oh, wow. I've been wearing a black belt longer than I wore all those other belts put together now, just about, you know, That's so pretty crazy, you know, because I was a brown belt for a long time, <laughs> you know, it, six it, years it, seems pretty quick to get a brown belt. When you, you think about, look, yeah, but think about it like this. I was a, I was a blue belt for 10 months. Okay. I was a blue belt for three years. Right. And, or just under three years. And then I was a purple belt for almost three years or something like that. So it's right at like, okay. It was right at that six year mark, you know? So when you, when I put it like that, like, Oh, you were a blue belt for that long. Oh, you, you don't think it was a long time. Yeah, anymore, yeah. Right. But I was yeah. a blue, I was a white belt for a really short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had a, I was a blue belt because I switched gyms at blue belt. Right. I had blue belt with four stripes when I got the throwdown. So I had to wait a little while before I got my purple belt, right? Then I get my purple belt. Elias opens down in Eastlake. I try to go down there. I end up leaving. I go to Paul Silva's. I start there. I have to get all four of my stripes. And then I get, finally get my brown belt. And then I was a brown belt for three and a half years, right? So there's that leads up right up to that like 10 year mark, just about. Like it's like for as fast as, I, as it sounds like I got to brown, it kind of was a long time. Yeah, when you break it down like that, it, it all makes a lot more sense. Yeah, when you just say six years, though, I see what you're saying. Like, well, a brown belt's pretty high level. Like, how'd you get a brown belt? So, well, most people get their brown belt in six years. Mm -hmm. It's just usually something happens along the way, like, to slow the process down. But if you literally train nonstop really diligently for, like, eight years, there's no reason why you shouldn't be a black belt. Mm -hmm. If you're marginally competitive, whether you win or lose, doesn't really matter. Maybe you compete a few times at each belt, win some, lose some and are consistently training like eight years is more than reasonable. And if it's more than that, your professor has an archaic method of ranking and they're putting your time overall. They're giving it way too much emphasis. Mm. Right. Because for me, once I promote somebody to Brown belt, I'm ready to promote them to black belt in a year okay. or, so or sooner if they're like a gnarly competitor, but <coughs> excuse me, something Elias used to say is that a Brown belt is just a shitty black belt, you know? <laughs> I've heard him say that. Yeah. yeah. Brown belt's just a shitty black belt. So like, if I'm willing to give you a brown belt, then I probably think you're a shitty black belt already. You know, what's up? I'm the biggest signer all by myself. Okay. Thank you. Good job, babe. She just killed the spider. She's really excited about it. <laughs> Something that doesn't happen in our house very often in her defense. Like I I'll come home and there'll be like a cup on the floor with a bug underneath it that they were all afraid to actually get close Aww. enough to kill. And I'll have to kill it. Like that's part of being in a house full of girls. Like the screams for Edgy's like, I just killed the spider and I cleaned it up all myself. All by myself. <laughs>
Uh, well, congratulations. That's like a, a nice achievement. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is. Like, I tell them all the time, like, you guys just keep me around to pick up heavy shit and kill bugs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was a good one, guys. Yeah, really great. We talked about all kinds of cool shit. <laughs> yeah, man. I love it. It's great catching up with you, you always. You too, man. man. Yeah. I, good, luck I, with, good luck in Florida. Thanks, man. Yes. Thanks. Like I said, I, I'm always listening to the podcast, so I know I send you guys random messages sometimes when I'm when I'm listening. I'll be like, oh, I got to tell these guys this thing. Yeah. <laughs> we love it, dude. We appreciate it for like, sure. Honestly, like keep talking about those guys that other people aren't talking about because that's yeah. what makes me like this podcast like this, like a couple other shows I've been listening to a lot that like it's it's way easier for me to keep track of what's going on in like combat sports by like listening to the other people that watch combat sports rather than listening to the perspective that they're trying to sell us on combat mm, sports. Yeah. If you're watching UFC press releases and stuff like that and listening to like, you know, some of the mainstream MMA media, they're part of the machine. Even, right. even their, even their, uh, their official mole chael, you know, chael works for the UFC, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's always getting paid <laughs> to do that podcast. By the UFC. He, he is literally their official leak. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he just happens to always be right. Oh, really chael? No shit. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I, I think that, like guys like us that, that like I say me now, cause I'm going to have, you know, my, my media channel getting out there and just talking about the sport and helping it grow, you know, like we can get MMA will be more popular if we can get a few more people to watch some submission grappling, you know? Yeah. We can go watch people watch some traditional tie boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can get people to even watch, you know what? I was a big anti Jake Paul guy until, you know, maybe six months ago, the guy grows on you, man. He does, yeah. And you're like, this freaking kid is the smartest dipshit I've ever met. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? It, like, good for him. Like, he really just doesn't care. And if he can disrupt the system to make some change and have some fun and make a little money along the way, that's exactly what he's doing. I, I don't have any problem with that, you know? Yep. Yep. And he's going to fight, you know, Rockman's kid. And I think if he gets past him, people got to start taking him seriously. Yeah, maybe. And more so than anything else, and I hate to, and this is, I guess, my backhanded compliment at Jake Paul, is that's what happens when you're a cruiserweight, right? That's Roy Jones Jr., you know? Yeah. When you're in that, that in-between weight class, you can kind of have a really long, really, like, unbeatable-looking career because the, the, <clears throat> the amount of quality opponents that are available, you just aren't, aren't that big because anybody, you know, really, really good that's, that could put on that weight is staying light to get those paydays mm. and anybody that can get big enough to be a heavyweight is going to fight heavyweight. So they can get those paydays. You know, that cruiser weight, even though it, for me, I wish that division was more popular, you know, because you would get probably some of the most dynamic boxing that we would see, you know, mm. heavyweights, man, you get up, they just lay on each other, you know? Yeah. The, the smaller guys, things tend to not, you know, they tend to go to a lot of decisions. There's not a lot of knockouts once you get to the highest level. You know, but you get that 190 pound chassis, you get those guys that are good athletes moving around and some guys start popping each other. You get, you get some pretty great knockouts, you know, and some, some real good, some real high energy, good athletes that are putting their gas tanks on display. So I think the more people that talk about all these things, the more we keep it all alive and, and the more they can grow and become something that nobody, I guess nobody owns it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Brandon, this was a pleasure. Yeah, Thank man. It's so great to much. see you guys for sure. I appreciate you giving me the platform to, to talk. Of course. Uh, anytime. And when you share some stuff from your YouTube channel, like on our Yeah, page, definitely, definitely, man. 
Thanks. And when I get my, uh, I get my media channel up, I'm, I'm literally trying to do it right. Like I'm trying to do like a black, like a back screen with my logo. Like I want from the first time I record something, some content, I want it to be at a certain level. So that's why I haven't dropped anything yet. Usually I'm pretty impulsive. And I think that's what my, my black belt bagger channel has helped that. Mm. Like when I'm impulsive, I just put shit on there. And, and if I want to talk about some, I've talked about jujitsu on that channel. I actually have like a, a garage video where I talk about what it's like to own an Academy. I think it's called, so you want to own a jujitsu Academy, huh? And, uh, but that's, but honestly, that would be the type of content that will be on my other channel. So I think it'll have, it'll have something for anybody that's into any kind of combat sport, you know? So I'm looking forward to, to getting it going. Hopefully I'll get it going here with the next few weeks. I'm just figuring out the logist, the technical part of like having a background and not, not like move and have it like move behind you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all corny, you know, how, how far are you from Miami? About four hours. Okay. Yeah, a little over so around. 220 miles depending on where in miami sometimes i visit miami but if me and the girlfriend take a road trip if you're there let me know you'll go right through here on your way if you drive yeah so get a little private and let's have a little dude i got I'll some be this i'll be the spazzy blue belt <laughs> i'm at right here awesome. <laughs> i got four of them awesome. <laughs> right on guys well it is getting late you have to go to work tomorrow and then you should go to bed <laughs> all right guys this was a pleasure all right guys I'll see you guys All later. Brandon. Later. Take care, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting. Hey guys, this is Anoop. I'm sure you've heard. I have a startup called Renta. You can visit me at renta.com, R-E-N-T-A-H.com. The idea is you could rent any type of good service or space. So you could rent a Arturo to teach you Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or you could rent uh, my friend Andy to uh, set up your podcasting equipment for your next gig, or you could rent uh, the Philosophy of Fighting podcast to uh, promote a commercial on our podcast or some gear, right? Like our friend Michael Shear did, if you want some Wu-Tang apparel. So uh, check out Renta, it would mean a lot to me. Cheers.